Where does it say you can't kill a cop? Come on, Mikey. Tom, wait, wait. I'm talking about a cop that's been mixed up in drugs. I'm talking about a, a, a dishonest cop, a crooked cop who got mixed up in the rackets and got what was coming to him. That's a terrific story. We, we, we have newspaper people on the payroll, don't we, Tom? They, they might like a story like that. They might. They just might. It's not personal, Sonny. It's strictly business. Good evening and welcome to LLS Fumar Takes. This is our 211th take. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, this is going to be a very special show. Uh, something we do every uh, every couple of months and everything has become really, really fantastic here uh, on LLS Fumar Takes. So welcome aboard, everybody. I'm your host, as always, Barry Duplissy. And before I get to introductions of my esteemed panel for tonight's discussion of one of the greatest films in uh, history, we're going to be arguing that point right off the bat. But uh, before we get into all the fun, uh, tonight's show is uh, sponsored by Drew Estate. Uh, Drew Estate announced recently the launch of the Nika Rustica Adobe. It was revealed secret, uh, I secretly identity through a freestyle pack that they had sent out to retailers all over the country that they just revealed uh, 10 days ago on the 12th on their freestyle live on their Facebook page. Uh, this, they've done this a couple of times now. This has been a really fantastic way to introduce new product to, uh, to all their fans and all their consumers and everything. And the Adobe has gotten a lot of praise. Uh, everyone was thinking it was going to be something else. And I love all the guessing and everything like that. So, but the new Nika Rustica Adobe is Drew Estate's latest and newest and greatest regular production item coming in three variable sizes, the Toro, the Robusto, and the Gordo. While retaining some of the same characteristics as the Connecticut Broadleaf Expression, the Nika Rustica Adobe is spicier, using an Habana wrapper, Brazilian binder, and Nicaraguan fillers, tobaccos from Esteli and Jalapa. So check out the newest release from Drew Estate, the Nika Rustica Adobe. Uh, at your local Drew Diplomat retailer today. And uh, welcome, everyone, to our 211 take, celebrating the 50th anniversary of The Godfather. And here is my esteemed panel of guests this evening, sponsored by United Cigars. Smoke one today and start living United. Mr. Fred Rui and Sam Spencer. Gentlemen, how are we doing tonight? Doing great. I'm doing fantastic, Bear. Thank you for having me on. Oh, absolutely, gentlemen. This is this is a show that I've been looking forward to for a long time, and uh, I know it's going to be I know it's going to be a really great discussion, especially with the two of y'all. Um, so, I mean, let's go ahead and kick things off here. Um, we have to. Uh, I mean, I think it's. I mean, I don't even know if this is up for discussion because I mean, it was it was kind of settled uh, by our, our you know our I guess my colleague in cigar media, Mr. Marvin Shankin, by putting it on the cover of Cigar Official Magazine. He said that this is the 50th anniversary of the greatest film ever made. So, gentlemen, is this the greatest film ever made? Fred, kick us off. I know you got a strong opinion here. <laughs> um, no, I don't know if I have a strong opinion. I, I think it's one of those ones that, you know, is it the greatest film ever made? I, I don't know that it is. I mean, I think you could throw, it's difficult when you say, like, we have to pick the three. You go like, hey, is it a top 10? Is it a top five? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of arguments of why it would be though, as far as, um, you know, it, it's an amazing cast, um, you know, it's particularly at that time for an ensemble cast that they put together, the number of people that auditioned for these roles, the number of people they consider this roles and who they settled on, 
Uh, it's tough to beat that lineup. And we can go later and, you know, you can talk about movies like Goodfellas and stuff on the same theme that also had really, really good casks. But um, I, I think this is also, you know, and this was indicative, I think, of the era, but it's actually held it held its way in there. Um, you know, longer scenes, uh, you know, much more character development originally uh, when um, he was going to do the movie and the original stuff when it was going to the script. He was launching into everybody being, you know, rolled out immediately at the wedding and he went back and rewrote it and had it where, you know, the, the characters kind of trailer tra trickled in and you get good story arcs on most of them. So, I mean, it's, it's a tough one to decline. The, fil the, the film, we can talk about Gordon's type, you know, uh, shooting and stuff later, obviously, because I know we've got him on the agenda. But, um, yeah, I think it's tough to say that it's not. It's a top five for sure, whether it's the greatest. You know, that becomes subjective. What are you looking for in a movie, too? Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. I, I, there, there are so many, there are so many films in the, like in the history of it. Now I know the AFI did it and they ruled that Citizen Kane was the number one movie of all time, which I've had to go back and rewatch that to even appreciate that film. Um, but here's the context that I kind of wanted to look at the Godfather is in the last half century, right? So the last half century, I think, I think a stronger argument can be made rather than all time. Um, like you said, I, I really like the I really like the way that I, I you know I really like the way that the story is actually told, um, and the way that storytelling is done through it. it it's it, it like you said, it introduces us to so many characters in so many different ways. Like you know, I think along the way we're going to be talking a lot about characters, and we're like, man, I wish I could have had more of that. But I mean, this would have been a an eighteen hour film rather than a you know a three you know a two and a half hour film at that point. But it's uh, it. You know, I mean, there's one there's one character that I was compared to on Instagram. I did it to myself um, that that is such a more fascinating player in the book um, in particular. But I mean, there's just so much depth to it. And, and, and Coppola does a fantastic job of of really, really just kind of painting the picture. But Sam, again, kind of uh, what, what are your thoughts? Uh, greatest film ever made? Even you know close? I think it's definitely close. I think if you're making the argument that it's not close. You're just wrong, frankly. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. That it's not close. I mean, you can have the argument that it's not the best because at some point it does get subjective, like Fred said. You know, would I put it in my top five of all time? Absolutely, without a doubt in my mind. Just the pacing of it, you know, like you said, the longer scenes. I went and rewatched it a couple of days ago and I hadn't seen it in a few years. And I found myself just kind of on the edge of my seat the whole time just completely focused. Cigar went out a few times while I was watching the movie, um, but it's not often that a movie can get me that focused. Uh, you know, get distracted, start looking at your phone somewhere in there. Um, but, you know, the cast, the source material, the cinematography, I mean, it's, it's tough to beat. Will I say it's the greatest? I, don't, I honestly, I don't know. It's top five, maybe even top three. Yeah, I, oh gosh, it's, you know, I, I look back on it, I, you know, and I try to try to compartmentalize because I, I mean, there's a lot of films that I love because I love film. I, you know, I mean, Fred, you're, you're in the same boat too. I know you like a lot of different stuff. Um, yeah. And you just, you, you just, you love this, this canvas, this art form, you know, this medium. It's just, and it's something that I, I've just, I've always been drawn to. And so it's really kind of hard to like pick my, 
the pick the greatest and everything but i really i really just i i think it's i think it's just fascinating uh the story about it the characters themselves the way it was made we're going to get into a lot of it tonight um so but i kind of wanted to start off with this kind of a i guess a simple topic which is i mean and but this one i mean how i mean this can also be controversial too or at least a lot of people there's so many of it but uh favorite quote from the film favorite quote from the film so uh so here here are my here are my submissions to it um and the first one i actually put together is part of the ad for tonight's show i i don't know what it is about it's 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 a really long speech but i'll 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 shorten it up a little bit but it's when he's talking about when he's meeting with the when Vito is meeting with the five families and it's this is right after Sonny's assassination spoiler alert so the movie's 50 years old guys you know what we're going to be spoiling a bunch of shit today you had your, ch- so, you had your chance you had your chance yeah so You're watching a show about this movie that's 50 years old you need to know yeah <laughs> exactly i mean well and we'll get to we'll get to cultural impact here in just a little bit too as far as like you know there's people who've never even seen the film and use phrases from it all the time but um, it's an you know where Vito's talking about uh, he's trying to wipe the slate clean and bring peace uh, to uh, to the war and everything. He says, "I forgo the vengeance of my son, but I have selfish reasons. My youngest son was forced to leave this country because of the Salazzo business. All right, I have to make arrangements to bring him back here safely, cleared of all these fake charges. But I'm a superstitious man, and if some unlucky accident should befall him, if he should be shot in the head by a police officer." Or if he should hang himself in his jail cell. And then the, this like really twisty turn in Marlon Brando's voice where it's like he's just delivering this dialogue. And then all of a sudden he's like, he just kind of turns the sinister up just a notch. And he's like, or if he's struck by a bolt of lightning, then I'm going to blame some of the people in this room. And that I do not forgive. And I'm like, oh, man, I, 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 I think it's one of the most subtle, brilliant performances in the film um it's this long dialogue and everything and then of course probably the shortest but one of the most memorable lines in the film is leave the gun and take the cannoli uh after uh after Polly is killed uh by order of uh sunny you know that was you know that was ad-libbed right that wasn't in the script i did not see that in my research are you kidding me oh that's great no it was yeah supposedly it was ad-libbed he wasn't supposed to say anything about the cannoli and he just made it up on the fly and they kept it oh that's beautiful (laughs) There's so much, there's so much ad lib too from this film. There is, there is. Yeah, that, there is. That's just like you would think it's a throwaway or, or something. And it's, 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 uh, it's fantastic. I can't, I can't, I did not see that in my research. That's crazy. Yeah, I do. I, I did that at one point and uh, I did look that up and there was, you know, for whatever it's worth, it was on the internet. So it's got to be real. But um, I, I have heard that more than once that that was an ad lib line. That is nuts. That is crazy. Um, uh, I mean, that is, I mean, I mean, that is in, in a problem. I'm sure a couple of other y'all submissions too will be, uh, uh, will be like stuff that, I mean, again, like that's just stuff that we use in like modern day. Like people use that all the time, mm-hmm. you know, modern day stuff and everything. So, I mean, like, so, so Fred, what, what were, what are some of your favorite quotes from the film? Well, one, I like um, Brando's line, which is, you know, look, we all have the obvious ones that, you know, there's quotable and then there's favorite quotes. Mm-hmm. So Brando, which is interesting being a method actor, and I, I don't know if a lot of people know, and I'll say it briefly just in case anybody doesn't know, he typically never knew the lines. So they actually pasted stuff all over. Like any movie he's ever done, 
he develops the character and then they will paste stuff like if he opens up a drawer though his lines will be written in there they'll be taped to a lamp they'll be on a they'll be on a card in front of him and he doesn't see him because he believes that the first time he reads that line is the purest it's ever going to be and it's going to mm. be the most honest so he's he's king of that um actually there's a really funny story where tom cruise was on letterman talking about days of thunder and he compared himself to Brando because he's, uh, Tom Cruise says he was driving the car and he says, it's just like Brando. I had my lines taped up here and I almost wrecked up the, you know, wrecked the car because I'm trying to read my line on the visor or whatever. And Letterman or whoever it was says, well, you're no Brando. You know, so, nice. Yeah. Um, so, so, my, so my first one is basically a throwaway line from that, that, that the Godfather says. And I just think it was an interesting moment that goes complete. It's towards the end, but it goes completely kind of unnoticed. It's one of his last conversations. And he says, um, he's drinking wine. He says, I like to drink wine more than I used to. And it's just this weird reflective moment where he's just, he has this glass of wine. And he's just like, I like to drink wine more than I used to. Um, the other one I liked is uh, Slazo's line that says, uh, when he's talking about after the whole killing, so he's talking about, I don't like violence, Tom. I'm a businessman. Right. Blood, is uh... a big, blood is a big expense. And I'm like, that that's just says so much in that line. It's powerful writing. And then, and then the last one is actually, um, and they're not, like I said, they're not big ones. Uh, Clemenza, by, by, the, by the way, which I think is a sleeper character in here as far as how solid of a role he is, because it's that guy that you just, he's in all, so many scenes and has so many little lines, but he just rounds out the scene or whatever. But he has one line after they kill Polly and somebody asks about Polly and he says, oh, Polly, I won't see him and him no more, you know, because <laughs> that's after they, they killed Polly. So those are my three. Like I said, there's other real popular ones, but those are the ones that are just a little bit more down. I I'm you, just going back to to Brando and stuff, and in that there's in that scene that you're talking about where I like to drink wine more. They used to uh, Pacino actually had lines on his chest. They had they had cards taped to his chest too. Like just, I mean, it's just it's just insane. Like some of the stuff that he would do or where they would put lines and everything. Um, but yeah, I like that. Um, I, I like to drink more like wine more than I used to. I'm gonna have some more. <laughs> like it um that's a that's a really great scene too. Like just, it is a good scene. I mean I mean it tells um it tells so much about both both characters. The it, it's this really interesting arc in the in the story, right? Because it's right before it's right before uh Vito dies and it's right as Michael's coming to power so it's this yeah it's, it's the handoff the tour. yeah it's the handoff yeah it's, it's it's the handoff but it's it's the handoff with you know this 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 bit with Brando you know with Vito that's just like that he he never thought that would be where the handoff was he didn't want that for him he was the mm -hmm. one that was going to be outside the family and like you said he even says you know I want you know be a senator or a governor or something like that but it's just but it's so downplayed it's not overly emotional he's not emotional about it because it's business and it's family and stuff and it's just they they both have this acquiesce of going to do the roles michael never you know from the very beginning he didn't want anything to do with the family and 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 vito didn't want him to be that person but it's just like this weird acquiesce that they both know that hey this is the path that we have to take and and they and that's that's a it's a great scene that really yeah. just goes you know and most people don't even catch absolutely Sam, what do you think of our picks, and what what did you what did you have slated down? I really liked um, Fred's the the scene in the vineyard when he, it's the handoff to Michael. He, it almost seems like he's finally at peace, you know. 
Yeah, a little bit. A gajillion different things running, you know, a mob empire. Um, but my picks, I mean, I had the extremely obvious one because I felt like somebody had to say it. Um, I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's, the, it's, it's, the, it's the one, man. It's uh, the one. And then one that stood out to me while I was watching it uh, last week was Don Vito when he says, a man who doesn't spend time with his family can never be a real man. Yeah. Like you understand the context of the family structure of the crime family, but also, I mean, just in life, like Mm -hmm. just dropping huge bombs, just casually walking around when he's, you know, semi-retired at the point when he says that. Mm -hmm. It's, it's interesting. Like, uh, as I kind of watched, walk through this film, like there's so, there's so many things in particular, I know we won't get too much into two tonight, but especially in that film that are just like, just so vile and evil and and wrong and and you know wouldn't enter my the my daily scope of life but there are so many life lessons throughout the godfather um you know i um i don't know if you any of you guys have seen the i'm sure fred fred's seen everything but have you guys seen you've got mail where tom tom hanks is telling so tom hanks's character is telling meg ryan how the Godfather is like the I Ching. It's like the gospel for every man. You know, what should I, you know, what, what day a week is it? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you know, what should I, what should I pack for my trip? Leave the gun, take the cannoli, like everything, right. you know, everything can be answered with the Godfather. Uh, and I, and I feel like that there's so many, there's so many interesting, like real life lessons, like, like the one you just said, uh, Sam. And uh, I love that scene. Cause it's right. He's talking to uh, his godson um johnny fontaine and uh and he he also catches the side eye of sunny as sunny walks in the door uh who's just been upstairs banging the mistress so (laughs) it's just a great it's a great it's a great timing about talking about family and dedication so Mm -hmm. i loved it yeah any any other submissions sam yeah i got one more and it's michael in vegas and he's like he's talking to his brother and he says don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again, ever. You know, it's kind of this transition of, oh, Michael's a real deal now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Restaurant scene had happened, but he he wasn't in it in it yet. And yeah, we now, hadn't seen like the first. Ver- yeah, we hadn't seen like the first version of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now he's the boss. Well, that's I know we're gonna get into it too, but that's like that's post you know Apollonia's death, you know, mm-hmm. and. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's a completely different person at that point and everything. It's... I'm sorry, I mean, up a credit to that movie as far as look how much time they spent on Michael in Italy only to lead up to the moment of her blowing up in the car. All, right. Everything that he's there, he's in hiding, he's walking around, he meets her. There's just, there's so many scenes in there and there's so many little, just little things that are behind the scenes, like when they're chaperoning going for the walk and they get, you know, and they got all the ladies behind them, but they make sure they have these goat bells go off because it's kind of like this gaggle of women and they make, you know, like goats. And they have these bells go off that are, are goat bells in the background, even though there's no goats in the, in the, in the picture. I mean, just so, but they spent so much time on that story arc on him in Italy, but then the conflict comes to him 
and she dies in a car and that, but you know, how much screen time was, was, was Italy. There has to be at least 10 minutes of screen time, mm -hmm. uh, you know, all in maybe more of him in Italy. So uh, just a lot, just for a moment of when she dies. I think, I think he's still the same Michael until that point. Like, I know he, yeah. you know, I know he's committed to the act. Like he's still the same. He's like, Hey, I like, I think there's a part of him. Like, you know, obviously he did this for his family and everything like that. But I, I think, I don't think, you know, here, here's an interesting question for y'all. Do you think if, if that event hadn't happened, do you think he comes back, he comes back to America and he, he goes back, he goes to work for the family business or he goes and he does something else? I don't, I don't think he goes back. Yeah. I don't know. Cause you can make the argument. He almost has to when Sonny gets assassinated. You think, Oh, True. so you think that's the moment. Okay. That's interesting. That's an interesting take. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I think both, but he almost has to come back when Sonny's assassinated and his father makes the peace with the five families. Right. But the only, the only thing I would say about that is, is that, the moment at which he knows Sonny before she dies, because that's what gets him to, they say they have to move to a different place in Italy. Right. And he's going to move into a different place in Italy. He's not going home yet. Yeah. He only decides to go home after her, her car, she blows up in the car. Right. Right. It's it because, because he was told that he was told that his, his son was dead, which is why they had to move and said it was no longer safe at that location. So he wasn't jumping and going home yet. Yeah. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah, that's an, that's an interesting conversation. Well, I think, like, I think he has such a, like, an overwhelming, obviously, an overwhelming loyalty to his father. And there's this crossroads about family and Michael that I think is really interesting for discussion, too. Like, you know, does he ever really feel like a part of this family? I think he's, I think he's almost as much of a black sheep as Fredo, in a way. Because he, I mean... I mean, prior to, you know, prior to the, the story kind of taking place and everything, he didn't really, he didn't really fit in with them. Right. Yeah. And so it's, it's this really, really interesting kind of just, gosh, just the, this, the entire story arc of Michael is really great. So, um, and we're gonna get more into it as we go along here. So I like to read the, the, I always like to do this as, uh, for these shows, the, uh, the IMDB description of the film. So basically the plot line, According to IMDb, uh, um, and these are usually really bad. Um, you know, <laughs> I mean, I mean, how do you sum up some you know great films in like a couple of sentences? Well, uh, they did it even worse. IMDb, they did it in one sentence. So this was according to IMDb. This is what the Godfather is, everybody. The aging patriarch of an organized crime dynasty in post-war New York City transfers control of his clandestine empire to a reluctant younger son. There you go. Yeah, yeah, it up. nailed it. Nailed it. Good job. Nailed it. One sentence. One sentence. Didn't have to. Didn't even. Didn't even bother with a second or third sentence. I mean, just just encapsulated the greatness of the Godfather right there. Beautiful. Yo, that really makes me want to watch this movie. All right. All right. Yeah. Good thing this guy didn't work actually for the studio. He would have been fired before he even walked off. Um. So. Um. So we didn't get to do this last time because. Um, you know, Ocean's, Ocean's Eleven really wasn't nominated for any Oscars and everything, but this is always an interesting look back at his, you know, movie film history and stuff like that. Uh, a lot of great, uh, a great shames. Um, and this year was certainly one of them too. Uh, the 1973 Oscars, 
the Godfather was nominated for 11, knocked down to 10. I'll get that in a second and won three uh, Oscars in 1973. So, so they actually was nominated for 11. One of them was for best original score. Okay. Um, the nomination was taken away when it was discovered that, um, that part of the music was very similar to another film that the, that the, uh, the composer had used. Um, they later kind of forgave him because he used the same score and more same material for Godfather two. And then he got the Oscar in Godfather too. So it was really, <laughs> really, really strange. Um, but anyway, so I still say they've got 11 Oscar nominations, which is less than the Gladiator, Sam, when we did the Gladiator last year. So how about that? And less oh. wins too. Ooh, no, we're, you know, not this year, maybe next year, we're going to get the one that's got 11 wins. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's right. So, um, so let's talk about the wins here. Um, it wins for best picture and, and it's going up against, it goes up, it's going up against, um, cabaret, which we're going to be talking about here in a second deliverance, the, uh, the immigrants and sounder. So Fred, I'm going to start with you. How many of those films have you actually seen? Uh, I haven't seen sounder, but I've seen everything else. And I just don't remember sounder to be honest. I've seen all the others. I okay. I'm with. I'm the same. I I haven't seen Sounder either, and I I I couldn't even tell you what it's about. Like I don't I, I, I can't either. I'm I'm like I saw that on your notes, and I'm like I I don't even remember what that film is. Yeah. So yeah, but all the other ones I had seen. I, does if does the okay? So Sam, have you uh, how many have you seen? This is like the running joke when I'm on the show. Yeah. Uh, why would you do that to him, Bear? Why would you do that? I have seen one. I, I was going to say, if I was going to, if you, if you had told, is it Cabaret or Deliverance? Deliverance. Okay. I, I was, I was waiting for you to like, oh yeah, Cabaret was like one of my favorite shows, like movies growing up or something. It just like shocked the hell out of me. Now, um, this is a pretty weak list, isn't it, Fred? Like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what it was I released think, back then, but like, gosh. I think for best, I think for best picture, it's a weak list. I think, I think, um, you know, Cabaret's strong. Uh, and obviously, because they, they actually, you know, did well in other categories. But if you're talking best picture, the only one, and I haven't seen Sounder, so let me let me at least make that exception. Um, Deliverance is a solid film. Do I put it best picture over Godfather? Not even close. Yeah. So I think that I think that I think that really is a laydown for them as far as who their competition was that year. Yeah, it was. Uh been it it just seemed like a really weak category considering like what other controversy happens like in the rest of the oscars like it just seemed like a really like i was like really this is this is it so um yeah. so uh marlon brando wins for best actor now you know marlon brando is considered considered you know arguably one of the greatest actors of the 20th century um you know he had this you know on the waterfront um and you know couple other films in the 50s that were just like i mean he was just on fire and like he made some duds in the 60s so this was this was actually like his coming back party a little bit and they thought everyone thought he was kind of washed up and he wins he wins best actor award and he beats out some pretty incredible pretty incredible incredible field here uh sir lawrence olivier and michael kane are both nominated for sleuth peter o'toole the ruling class and paul winfield for sounder 
Uh, I know who Paul Winfield is again, haven't seen the movie sounder, but I mean, that's a pretty, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a little bit more stacked of a category. Here's the question. Do you think Marlon Brando is, uh, has enough screen time to be considered for this category or should it have gone, should Michael have been nominated, should Mal Pacino have been nominated for Michael? Well, I don't know that Michael has any more screen time overall than, than um, Brando does. Um, Brando's in an hour, roughly, of screen time of the three hours. But Michael's not in the first hour as much. So, I mean, Michael probably has more. I think, I don't know if it, it went down that way by just how the hierarchy of how you think that movie is because he is, he is the, the main guy as far as the film revolves around he gets the best actor category and Michael, you know, gets supporting, which if you think about it, everybody is supporting Brando's role. I mean, they're all supportive, their sons, daughters, whatever, they're all supporting that role. So I could see why they put him in that category. Um, you know, you go screen time, you go to Sleuth and go to the screen time and the other guys, they probably weren't any more screen time total than Brando was in there. So as far as you're waiting against the other class, is he best actor against that field? for that particular role or is it, Hey, let's give the comeback guy, uh, uh, you know, uh, a nod. Um, I don't know. Right? That, that's a flip a coin for me. So you, you liked some of those other roles better than, than I, 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 can't, I, I can't say better. I, I can't say better, but they're good. I mean, they're, okay. they're, it, it's, it's a, it's a strong, again, I haven't seen sounder, but it's a strong field that I just don't know that you could have went wrong with a lot of those other picks either. Um, but Brando's Brando. I mean, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. he's good, but that feels strong. What, what did you think, Sam? Did you think, um, I mean, did, did you think that uh, Al, Al Pacino got short, got shorted here by not being considered for best actor and was in the best supporting actor, which we're going to get into here in a second? Yeah, this was really interesting because I hadn't seen this until you sent over the agenda. And I looked at it, I took me a second to look at it and be like, really? No, he was nominated for the best actor role. Um, you know, thinking about it more, they do all support him, but I don't know. He may have as much screen time as the other guys that were nominated, but as a percentage, it's less because this movie is three hours long. And you could almost argue he becomes less and less of a character as the movie goes on. Right. Because of the rise of Michael. Um, it's really, it's, it's interesting because like Fred said, I don't think you go wrong with any of these guys, but that's coming after the best picture where all of us were saying, it's not even close that this is the best movie. But then when it comes to best actor, you're like, it, it almost does kind of seem like, oh, you know, he came back, he did a great role after some duds. He's one of the all-time greats. He's going to win. Well, it's, it's almost kind of what happens a few years later to in the same category when when El Pacino actually is nominated for best actor for Godfather too. it almost happens. It almost happens again. Uh, oh, I just I just looked it up, by the way, while we're talking and Pacino has 37 percent of the screen time. OK, that's 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 tough to not have him be the best actor category. It really yeah. is because because he, he has more than Brando. Well, so here here's my here was the reason I, I inserted this question in here is like because. You know, I've heard the argument like you can't have you can't have two best actors in a film. And I'm like, well, Sleuth just proved that point wrong for in this particular category. So, I mean, he could he could have been nominated for this category, too. Um, mm -hmm. 
and and I think the stories about both of them again I think we talked about you know the moment in the vineyard it's a it's the it's the rise and it's the rise and fall of 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 these two okay so play play it out take take let's take Brando out of the equation does Pacino beat the rest of the field for best actor oh He, well, he was a real, so he, so it's kind of hard to talk about this now because like historically, cause this, this was, this was Pacino's like first major thing. Like yeah. nobody knew who Al Pacino was like today, you know, he's, he's got this to his credit. He's, you know, he's Scarface. He's all these like iconic characters. Well, this is before Raging Bull. I mean, yeah. this is, this is, this is, yeah, you're right. This is, this is a, you know, pretty coming out real for him. I mean, it's just nuts uh, that this, this, this is, I mean, and this was one of like, this is one of the things that Coppola hung his hat on. In fact, him and Pacino were going to get fired and they showed him, they showed the dailies on, on the, uh, the restaurant shooting scene when he, uh, he kills uh, McCluskey and Salazzo and they're like, oh, okay, you guys, you, this is good. It's going to be good. So you guys could stay. Um, but I don't think he does to answer your question. I don't think I don't, I don't think so either. I don't I don't think it's a, a spectacular performance. I think it's a great performance, just as the whole cast is a great performance. But I, you know, I, I wonder if there's some sort of behind the scenes decision of hey, let's split these guys up and let's have Brando solo in this to have a better shot that you're not dividing votes mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden one of the other guys sneak up and take away that 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 segment from the Godfather. Yeah, no, absolutely. We're going to talk about uh, splitting up votes here in a second, obviously, with the, the next category. Yeah. But um, I'll argue they did that to Sloop. Right. They divided the votes between the two guys. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, man, it, it's, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to like look back and, and just not like, just not appreciate some of those, some of those, some of those, some of those films in the 70s were just absolutely awesome and like some of the characters that were played by some of the greatest actors like Laurence Olivier you know Jack Nicholson was on the rise Brando Pacino De Niro I mean god just what a great era for film just Mm -hmm. really really fantastic um so and then the third the third win that the Godfather got was for best writing screenplay based on material from another medium uh it was co-written by the director Francis Ford Coppola and the author of the book uh, Mario Puzo um and first of all, I don't know how Mario Puzo didn't kill Frank, Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, I mean, his his I mean, his history about being difficult and just being very meticulous and everything like that. I mean, I mean, he you know, it's, it's there's actually a picture of it in this in this magazine um, where Puzo actually tore apart the book and then reassembled it in a binder so that he could make notes and everything. And and uh I mean, he literally ripped up Mario Puzo's work and and kind of reassembled it. And I, I don't know how I don't know how Puzo and him got along. Like, I, but it it obviously worked. Well, uh, I mean, one of one of the things that that's pretty well known is that the the screenplay was much more heavily in the hands of Mario Puzo, which is why Coppola insisted that the film was not called The Godfather; that it was called Mario Puzo's The Godfather, because he said I did not have enough influence on the screenplay. To, he said we ba- that, that a lot of it was there. So so mm-hmm. there's that may have been that Puzo was winning more behind the scenes arguments, which is why they you know maybe somehow made it work. Mm-hmm. No, true. 
No, absolutely. I, and I mean, it kind of goes back to a lot of the decisions that like, I think Coppola decided to fight a lot of other fights, like getting Pacino in and everything like, um, you know, Fred, you talked about this before we even started the show about like, uh, and I think this is a good time to talk about it. I like how the, like, I mean, there were great gangster films before this, but, but nothing to this magnitude, nothing to the magnitude of like best picture or in the discussion for the greatest film of all time or anything like that. But which was now, but here's the crazy part. Like we, <laughs> um, there were so, there were so many gangster films done portraying Italian American gangsters and not, and they were all played by non-Italians. It felt Kirk Douglas played a gangster in a film just a couple years before this, you know, uh, well, Chino's the only one that's Italian in that family, in The Godfather. True, yeah, but Brando has that. Brando's <laughs> last name sounds Italian because it hasn't it ends in a vowel. So, yeah. <laughs> but, but um, I gotta hand it to you because James Conn is Jewish and he he pulls off the Italian thing pretty good, and it, it doesn't seem it doesn't seem like over the top and stuff. Did 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 you guys know that this was the first movie that or or that or popular? use of the term bada bing was ever used i read that on something uh after you sent over the notes i saw it on something but yeah i, did, I didn't know that's what it was and that that came from uh, uh what was a con's friend that was an actual gangster or something that said it he picked mm -hmm. it up from him or something something like that, like that. that's what i read yeah. yeah yeah crazy um i don't know that by the way for me i mean i don't think james con fit into that italian thing as much he he looked in the beginning, you know, between him and Tom, you're, you know, like if, if you didn't know the lineup or the lineage of it, you wouldn't be sure which one him or Tom was was really not real son. I didn't buy that 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 Khan was necessarily that Italian descent. Um, I accepted it because that's what was there. But I, I'm surprised that that they went, you know, that Coppola did that, that he cast that. I mean, he's strong, mm -hmm. but um, I don't I don't get it. There's there's a very lack of Italian culture or look or anything among most of those people, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, and, but I mean, it was credited- The family members, time. I should say, yeah. Yeah, it was credited at its time though, considering it. Like Talia, Talia Shire was another one too, you know, obviously uh, Coppola's sister. Um, but like, yeah, it was credited its time for being that. But like, yeah, we're talking about a couple of people, a handful of people, uh, the supporting, like um, Ava Goda, uh, Castellano, uh, who plays Clemenza. But other than that, um, you know, you're, you're right there. I mean, it still was kind of, it was still kind of stripped of some stuff. So it, it's interesting that like, it was applauded for in this day. And then like, you know, in the looking at it in 2022 through a 2022 lens, you're like, Oh, well, you don't really make that much of an, that much of an effort. Right. So, and it would never happen today. Like, I mean, Hollywood just wouldn't be allowed to make the film with that now. Oh God, no. They'd, they'd, they'd be beat up for not having actual real Italian people in it for yeah, we'll get to I'm not saying it's right or wrong. You sure. Know, I'm just saying that's you know. We'll get to casting what ups here in a second. I mean, because there's some interesting players that are in line for, for some of these roles oh, and stuff. There's one giant one that is it's the equivalent of Tom Selleck was supposed to play Harrison Ford's role in uh, Indiana Jones. It's just it's as bad. <laughs> um, I didn't really pick any of the other nominees on the writing, but I just kind of wanted to have a conversation about how the two kind of work together and everything, but it obviously worked. And, and, and the script is obviously fantastic. Um, any, any thoughts about the, the script, uh, Sam? 
I mean, you almost feel like this is one of the all-time great movies based on another work. You know, you've got some other things like To Kill a Mockingbird. You can make the argument for The Lord of the Rings, The Wizard of Oz. Like, yeah, those are all iconic. And this is kind of at the top of those. So to work, and a lot of those films, they weren't able to work directly with the writer. Mm -hmm. So that's really cool that they got to work together to make this film, you know, work together, no matter how much, how much of that was butting heads or Mm -hmm. one another. But, you know, it's kind of unique in that manner. And it kind of, it stands out as, you know, the best. I think what you found is that observation is really interesting because like some of those works that you talked about, like Wizard of Oz, To Kill a Mockingbird, like even to certain, to certain extent now through I think through today's lens, I think, you know, Lord of the Rings is, those are considered classics of literature, right? Um, certainly the latter two, right? Um, but, um, you know, this was a, I don't know, like, um, I mean, I've heard, Fred, what, you've heard, what have you heard about this novel? Like, I heard it wasn't like, it was, it, was, it was a popular book, but it wasn't like, like people were around the block getting their copy of Mario, Mario Puzo's The Godfather, I mean. I don't think so, yeah, I, I don't think it was, I mean, I know that, I mean, the, whatever it was when in print after the movie came out, it sold like hotcakes and stuff like that, but I mean, I don't know how much it was on everybody's radar. It's not like a To Kill the Mockingbird, to Kill the Mockingbird or Lord of the Rings as far as sales are concerned, you know. Um, now, maybe in that genre it was, if that was the genre that you, that you, that you read, maybe it, maybe it was hot in there, but I agree with Sam. I mean, as far as adaptation off another work, um, it's wrong. I mean, it's it's right up there with all the ones he he just mentioned as far as being able to pull it off. Um, and that's difficult whether whether the author's alive or not, um, which only helps round out things that you don't know that didn't make it into the book that he can give you more you know light on the characters type thing. But um, you know, Lord of the Rings to me is kind of the benchmark of you know. It's one of those movies I remember when it was coming out, you're just like, are they going to be able to pull this off? Because, you know, can you do this justice? Can you do, you know, book three, a series this much justice in there? And, and they pulled it off. Just, you know, obviously, there's stuff left out. You can't have everything. But this one was done real well. Yeah, I, I really agree. Now, there were obviously some, there were some huge, obviously, with all the nominations and everything, only three wins. There are obviously some pretty uh, amazing losses. I mean, I mean, the biggest category is right off the bat is best actor in a supporting role. Um, James Caan, Robert Duvall, and Al Pacino are all nominated. Do you guys have a problem with any of those three getting nominated? No. No. Um, I think he's much better in two, but I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think Fred, I think, I think Fredo gets overlooked always in like for this, I don't know. I don't know if I like like performance wise. I know who I like character wise, but performance wise, I'm not sure who I like better: John Cazale and Fredo or or James Conn is or Sonny, which is saying something because I really like Sonny. I really like the character, but I'm not sure who's better. But in uh, one, Fredo has very little screen time. It's yeah, true. I mean, very little. He's shipped off to Vegas, you know, halfway through the film. I mean, his screen time is is. I mean. I don't even know how you, I mean, it, and it wasn't a memorable enough to be nominated. It's obviously yeah. in two when, when it gets real, but I mean, in the first one, he's just kind of there. Yeah, I can see that. There's just, there's just some subtle parts where he's just in it. And I just, I, I think he kind of, 
he just kind of makes the story move the 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 scene that sam was talking about earlier in vegas when he he uh, he takes sides with mo and everything and i agree uh, i agree with that but give, give me another scene that you remember him yeah you'd remember yeah. Him in the room yeah you're absolutely right this is one big moment yeah <laughs> the moment when he meets Kay at the wedding you know where he's just you know, he's drunk and and everything is kind of it's just funny okay solid and, solid 35 seconds yeah so you're I'll right that but yeah, I yeah. Mean, he's just drunk i mean <laughs> yeah no 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 you, no you got me fred no you got me i'm you're I'm you're, you. you're you're a, you're a mice among men in that movie and did he play his role well absolutely is the yeah. vegas scene great absolutely but the vegas scene could be argued more about michael than is about fredo Right. Um, so, so I just, just don't think, I, I think that you needed more screen time to him to be worthy of that. It's not that he didn't play anything right. There's just how many lines did he really have in that in, in one. Right. So here's the one big omission that I think was like huge. And I don't know how you stick a fourth person in here. Right. But Richard Castellano is, is Pete Clemenza. Like you said earlier, right. I think his solid, I mean, unbelievable performance. Sam, what, what did you think of Clemenza's character? I feel like he almost instantly becomes like your favorite character. Whether mm-hmm. it's like the cannoli line where he's talking about cooking spaghetti in the kitchen. Um, he's just, he's the one character that's like instantly likable from everybody. You know, you can have problems with, you know, Vito or Michael, but I feel like everybody's like, ah, Clemenza. I love this guy. <laughs> like He's, well, he's largely, in, in Godfather 1, he's, he's largely the through line to all the shit that goes down outside the house. He's largely the guy that's always there. He's there when they kill, they kill Polly. He's there, you know, I mean, he's there going up the stairs, which is a funny scene because him and Coppola are in a big argument and he made him do that scene like 20 times, walk up four flights of stairs to get him back. I mean, there's just, but he's that guy that's always there. I mean, he's doing the spaghetti in the kitchen. I mean, you know, or the pasta sauce in the kitchen. He's just always there. And again, if you didn't have all these other roles getting your attention, but it's that character that rounds it out. It's that character that makes that gives the movie depth. And yeah, it's sad that he gets overlooked because unfortunately the guy died like in 88, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't I mean, he had a very short career and I'm sure you would have seen a lot more of him, uh, particularly as they were recycling different mob movies and stuff like that. He definitely would have been in a lot more because he was solid all the way through. Yeah, I, I just I I feel like he was just like one of the biggest omissions. And everything like but i mean yeah if, so if you take those three though like who do you replace them with and again i think i think maybe sunny which sucks because i really like sunny's character i really like james Conn. um but i just think richard castellano is definitely um definitely one of the biggest miss swing and misses of the academy and everything so uh to sam's point from earlier boat splits and uh none of them win which is in my mind a huge travesty and it goes to joel gray in a great performance in cabaret so uh you know yeah. at least it, at least it went to at least it went to a de- you know a decent uh, decent performance and everything eddie albert was the other nominee for the heartbreak kid but um but you know that's a circle back too much on this on this point about the best actor versus supporting actor apparently al pacino agreed with me <laughs> He, uh, he thought he was he thought he was overlooked by the Academy as for the best actor. And he didn't he actually even boycotted the Oscars that year. Oh, that's right. Even, that's right. He did. Didn't even go. Because he thought he should have been nominated for best actor. Not that he should have won. He just said he should have been nominated for best actor as well with that. Okay. So um Well, I don't know if we're gonna get to this later, but Brando didn't accept the award. That's right. 
That's right. He sent. Oh God. He. Oh. He sent someone else to take to the award. Uh, oh gosh. I'm gonna. I don't. I don't want to mispronounce the name. So, um, do you have it, Sam? Do you have? Do you have who num- who accepted the award for? Him? I know the story. The backstory of it. But I don't have uh, the name. I'm gonna butcher the pronunciation. Um, Sachin Littlefeather. Right. Mm. Yeah. So. Uh, she represented um, Marlon Brando and uh, actually didn't he actually even accept the award. She declined it on his behalf. And she, she spoke, uh, she spoke about uh, issues uh, facing, uh, you know, the native American, uh, um, native American portrayal Mm -hmm. of uh, the portrayal of native Americans in Hollywood essentially was what it was about, which was like, like this so offshoot issue compared to what the film was about, obviously, and everything. It was a very Marlon Brando thing to do because he was just a weird cat indeed. But um, it, the, what a weird Oscars this was. I mean, just it, had to be. I mean, obviously, I wasn't around for it, but this just had to be like weird if you're watching this on TV. Yeah, it's so funny because the two main guys from the best movie that year, neither of whom were there. Yeah. And the movie is arguably the greatest movie of all time. I need to go back and watch like YouTube footage of it. Just like, get an idea of what it was like. It had to have been just so weird. Like it, as much crap, as, as much play as this, this, this last year's Oscars got, like I just imagine, I mean, that obviously was probably bigger than anything that that, that happened then too. But I mean, God, just, just weirdness all around. Um, so before we get to, to some other losses here, I do want to talk about a couple of other things. I did want to interrupt this uh, to talk, uh, kind of break this up a little bit with one of our fun segments, which is our latest, our latest segment from United Cigars. We retired the One Must Go segment here on Ellis Fumar Takes, and we are bringing about a new segment for United Cigars, sponsored by United Cigars, of course. Uh, Distributors of uh, Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Garofalo, and the highly acclaimed Atabay and Byron line. Smoke Wednesday today and start living United. We are doing United presidential trivia. And it would be a, this is a great night to kick this off because this is a, this is also kind of a curveball, everybody. So guys, um, so quick question for, for the panel here. Uh, since we are talking about, since we are talking about the mob, who is considered, I'm going to give you, this is multiple choice. Okay. Who is considered the mafia's president? Is it A, John F. Kennedy, B, Richard Nixon, or C, Jimmy Carter? Who is considered the mafia's president? I know. Fred's got it. Fred, who who do you think it is? I think it's Nixon. Okay. Sam? Just to be different, I'm going to say Kennedy. Just to be different. Isn't that the obvious answer? A lot of people would have said that would be the obvious answer. The obvious answer, but I'm kind of also leaning towards Nixon. Okay. Well, I think the argument was Kennedy was killed because he didn't cooperate, but I don't know. What's the, what is the answer? It is. It is Richard Nixon. Very good. Okay. I was really surprised. I was really surprised by this. I was just scanning. I was like thinking about just questions in general. And, you know, I was just doing some research and stuff. I thought it was really interesting. Um, that he had some he had some ties to 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 the mob and everything which again to your point fred about how kennedy actually didn't cooperate with the mob and 
and you know their uh their connections in uh the much discussed uh um assassination of the president and everything but Nixon actually uh, Nixon actually signed into law a uh bipartisan um piece of legislation known as RICO which is a huge anti-racketeering law um in conjunction with uh, the senator from uh, Arkansas John McClellan so it you know it sounded like he also wanted to sever his ties as well too but I I found that so I found that so interesting but they're like going back there were you know there was about something something in the neighborhood of like equivalent dollars I, I saw this was equivalent today's dollars like 61 million was donated to the Nixon campaign fund from like com- companies that uh, uh, oh. that kind of were traced back to the G- the Genovese family um, and stuff so it's it it's it's pretty it's pretty dark and pretty interesting like why why they why they backed him and why he was considered there's actually a huge uh, a, a novel based on you know a novel based on it not a novel a, it's actually a nonfiction um, the mafia's president Nixon and the mob oh. uh, so pretty good book I'll put the I'll put the link to it in the show notes if you guys want to pick it up and everything so really uh really thought I would have thought I would have thought it was John F Kennedy too but, the Kennedys are basically the Corleones of politics in America. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Although That's fair. Yeah, I mean, most of them get gunned down too. So Yeah, I was going to say most of them don't make it, you know, make it to, to old age for sure, so I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's 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 definitely some correlation there. It's tragic, man, it's tragic. It's tragic, but it's true. Mm-hmm. Think about it too. That's that's a really actually it's a really great points. They're all likable, right? No, I mean for for I mean at least in this film, right? I we could like I said we're not to talk too much about too, but like every character from the Corleone family is is likable, mm-hmm. and you know like much like the Kennedys were too. So that's yeah, nice, nice comparison, pretty sweet. Like even somebody like Sonny is likable to an extent, even though he does you know a lot of really horrible things. Yeah. But you still kind of get it. You kind of, you still kind of like him because he's just um, emotional, though. I mean, that's all he really is. Like, yeah, he's, he's he blows his top. I mean, a little too, a little too quickly. Um, that's not a commentary on the sex scene at the wedding, by the way. Just I'm talking about his temper. So, um, but, um, but yeah, no, I thought that was, I thought that was an interesting, I thought that was an interesting. Uh, piece of history too so uh that was our united cigar presidential trivia uh, our very first one we're going to be doing that each week and uh we find some, just some more interesting comments about uh points about our u.s presidents so uh obviously sponsored by united cigar smoke one today start living united remember they are distributors of la giana havana and distributors of jose dominguez bandolero garofalo and the highly acclaimed atabay and byron lines smoke one today and start living united so back to the oscars a little bit here uh, on some of these losses one of the big ones that i want the one of the biggest one that i wanted to talk about was um best director and again some really great films nominated here um and some so we've got uh joseph mankovitz sleuth uh, Jan Troll for The Immigrants, John Borman for Deliverance, Bob Fosse for Cabaret, 
and of course Francis Ford Coppola for The Godfather. So Bob Fosse wins, but I mean, this was, I mean, these were, again, these were all really good films. And Fred, you've seen, you've seen all of them, right? Mm -hmm. What, I mean, what was your takeaway from the best category? I mean, kind of, does, does it kind of fall back in line to the, the best actor category for you? Cause there are it does a little, it, 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 it does a little bit, um, but we're going to get to the cinematography absent nominee scenario. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know if that influenced some of it as far as what they thought Coppola is, but I don't know how you, they're all, they're all good. I just don't know how you pass. And, and, and I mean, look, the director is overall responsible for everything. Um, you know, you know, they're just, they're the last, they're the last, you know, person to make every decision on every shot and everything else. And so I just, uh, I think that, you know, it's tough when best picture, best director doesn't go along with it for me. Um, you know, there's been a couple times in throughout the Oscars history that made no sense. Um, the one that really comes to mind is, uh, Barbara Streisand, Prince of Tides. They won something like what, like nine or, you know, whatever, 10, uh, you know, uh, categories, but she didn't win Best Director. Yeah. Um, actually, I'm not even sure she was nominated. Uh, I think that was the thing. It's like, you know, and her, her the joke was, I think Billy Crystal made the joke, uh, um, you know, uh, when he was emceeing it or whatever, said something, well, do they think this film, you know, directed itself? Um, right. I don't know if there's a, I don't know if there's a snub there or it just, it just played out, it just played out that way. I, I don't have a problem it didn't win. I'm just surprised it didn't win, I guess. Yeah, I, man i just i mean some of these losses were just like incredible but the the, the absentee one that we're going to talk about right now here in just a second is, is the one that just kills me because i just think i it's just it's unbelievable piece of art and it's just an unbelievable piece of work the way this was done but uh sam before we talk about my biggest my biggest beef of the whole it really is my biggest beef about the whole oscars um but before we get into that sam did, did any thought about francis ford coppola not getting the win for best yeah, director. I do. I th we have the same biggest beef, but I mean, this is a problem too for me because as you know, a younger viewer of cinema, and I'm going back and watching all these films, like just aging power and staying power of The Godfather. Like I don't know how if they realized that in this year when this movie came out, but as somebody who's in their twenties, it's like none of these other movies matter. Like. The Godfather is the movie of this year and pro in the decade. It's period. And how you have a movie that's that good, wins Best Picture, is considered one of the best movies of all time, if not the best, but they don't have the best director in mm -hmm. that year. It's like, come on. And I don't I know. know. And they, that, they, they knew they had it because they also greenlighted the second movie before they wrapped up shooting the first movie. They knew that they had a good movie. Yeah, they knew it was gold, and it really was. I, I think Cabaret Cabaret is a fine is a fine piece of film. Like it really is, like constructively and everything. But this kind of goes into this goes into my my biggest beef of the whole Oscars. Um, how does Gordon Willis not even get nominated for best cinematography? Um, so for all of you non movie nerds out there. Cinematography has to do with not, it has to do with camera placement. It has to do with lighting. It has to do with staging. It has to do with basically everything that you're looking at in the screen, looking at, 
That's what cinematography is. And so, yes, the director controls this, but it's this partner of the cinematographer that does this. And Gordon Willis um, is an absolute genius for this film. It, if we look at the, Fred, if we, Sam, if we look at the opening scene of this movie and how it opens up, first, one of the greatest opening lines in the like, history of film, I believe in America. And the way that this shot is lit I mean, it's top lit so that you can't see people's eyes. It, it's, it, it, it hollows them out as, as humans. And it shows that they are, they, well, yes, they have, they have a beautiful family and there's the story and everything like that. They're, the, the metaphors are just oozing out of the fact of just how this is structured and how this is shot and how it's lit. And from that opening scene, you're like instantly transported back to the forties. Cause this was in the seventies and I've seen some other films from the seventies. And I think we all have, and they're not lit like this. Like even outside shots are not like this. When you're, when you're outside, like during the wedding or at um, uh, the, the movie for Waltz's house, like you feel like you're in the forties. Like it just has that vibe and everything. And he captured all of that. Um, I don't know. I, it, it, I, it, it still infuriates me that he wasn't even nominated. Like, how do you, oh God, just so, such a horrible, like bad beat by the Oscars, man. Awful. Fred, what, Fred, what are your thoughts? You were agreeing with me the whole time. I heard you, not, I saw you nodding your yeah, head. Yeah, look, the only, the only thing I think it could come down to is that, um, look, there's a little bit of Hollywood that's a popularity contest. I don't know how well Gordon plays with other people and what, you know, you're voted on by your peers. Um, and you know, Tom Hanks, most likable guy in Hollywood wins lots of awards. I don't know. I know Gordon and Coppola were ready to kill each other numerous times on this film. I mean, just absolutely nuts. I mean, to the point Gordon was yelling at actors and Coppola was trying to champion the actors on the, uh, the lighting was so complex. He underlit more in that movie than anybody ever has which means the actor has to hit their mark exactly right to have just this one little ball of light on their face just right. Um, horribly comps, but what he had to do to pull off what, you know, let's say, let's say what Coppola's vision was. Uh, the wedding scene was not shot during the day. It was shot at night because they were on a schedule and Gordon was going nuts going, how the are we going to light this thing? And they lit it up like it was daytime, but it's not. It's shot, it's shot actually at night. So the, just the mechanics of what he had to do is you know like the the only thing i can think of is that he is just an unpopular guy in hollywood and they were at that time just not going to give him anything because i don't see how you don't nominate him yeah not it, with everybody else nominated in all these other categories yeah it was just i mean well one of the movies that was nominated for cinematography was 1776 which is a really cheesy like musical about the you know, American independence. And I love my history as everybody knows. And that, that movie sucks guys. It just does. Like, it's not good. <laughs> like it's just... Gordon, Gordon was snubbed. There's no question. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know how you can't say it's not, it had to be political. It had to be just Hollywood people going, there's no friggin' way I'm going to vote for this guy. And if you think about it, you're voting by your peers and everything else. If he doesn't play well to everybody else, they're not going to vote for him. That's they're not going to nominate him. They're not going to vote for him. That's I don't true. know what else it would be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it has to be something like that. Sam, you, you said this was your biggest beef too, leading into as we we're kind of teasing it. What, 
Yeah, it's like it's stuff like that where they had to shoot the whole wedding scene at night and you know all the different stuff they do you know when they're having these backroom conversations and the camera and you feel like you're in the 40s mm-hmm. like you feel like you're there post-world war ii and to not even be on the list i mean my first thought was man who did this guy piss off right other than other than coppola <laughs> coppola because i mean yeah it was it was impossible i i missed I, you guys both caught it i missed that i didn't know the 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 daytime wedding scene was at night. Well, you, you better fact check that for me, but I'm pretty sure that was, the, I'm pretty, I'm almost positive that was one of the things that I remember, I remember back in, in the film stuff about that. Um, the other thing I remember is that the scene where Sonny is shot, um, they had to do in one take. Um, oh yeah. For whatever because yeah, well, they had all these cameras, they had all that. And then they had the, um, like, uh, Sonny had like, like hundred, uh, what do you call them? Uh, squibs, squibs, yeah. Packets to pull up. Yeah. So he had like a hundred of them on him, because they wanted it to be like you know the whole Tommy gun shooting him and stuff like that. Now there, there's a funny line that that Con talks about that, that he talks about. He says um, when he was getting all fitted, the crew that set him up says, "Wow, we've never done this many squibs on a person before, or whatever like that." And he's like, "You have to tell me this, you know." He's getting ready to have all these things just blow up on his chest. Um, but they had to do that one seat. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. Um, the other shot that I just, I mean, this is absolutely iconic. Is, is it's the moment where Michael is describing how he's going to kill McCluskey and Salazzo, and that that pan in, that just slow moving, and you just, it, it, it's like it's the start. It's the beginning of it's the beginning of Michael tra- Michael's transformation, and it's. He, he has that look. It's, it's different, right? Because he looks different there than he does in, later in the film and then obviously in the, the subsequent films too. But it's that same posture, that leaning back in the chair, his legs swooped over and crossed on his leg. And he's just calculating and cold. And, and it's just captured so perfectly by Willis's camera. And, it's, and the lighting and, oh, fuck, it's just... Well... There's so there's so many scenes like that. I mean, back to the the thing. So I was talking about the Vegas scene, which everybody you know really likes. It's really strong, but it's so odd to decide to shoot a guy. You know, uh, Michael's sitting down. There's no there's no sense of power in the guy that's sitting. Fredo's getting to stand. You know, and 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 Michael's sitting more powerful than Fredo is, who's standing above him. I mean, and, and he shoots he shoots it just right that it's just that air of he's calling all the shots from his chair and with authority. And it, like, there's just so many scenes. I mean, the, the stairway, the stairway scene uh, where he shoots the one mobster and the cop, the guy dresses the cop, shoots the mobster at the very top of the stairs, the one guy in the, of the fine families and stuff like that, which is which is, um, you know, a powerful shot. Just I don't know. It, we could talk. We could rail on this for days, I suppose. But yeah, <laughs> I, I yeah, I think it's way shot. Go ahead, Sam, please. You go through this whole movie like scene by scene and just be like oh like this scene is unbelievable and then you get to the next one you're like another one like, yeah mm-hmm. I, the scene that comes to mind is you know leave the gun take the cannoli when he gets out to go take the leak zooms out and it just mm-hmm. takes all the humanity away from it when he shoots the guy in the back of the head in the car yeah and then get back in Oh, you gotta get the canola. <laughs> I kind of stepping on nitpicks there a little bit, but like, where the fuck in New York were they? Where that? Where like, where are they? Where is that? 
where it's that abandoned. I was gonna I, be well, we're talking got, the 40s here. True. Yeah. Oh gosh, it's just. Yeah, it just that 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 scene seemed a little. I mean, yeah, I mean, guess time time placement and everything, but gosh, but yeah, it's. But I do like that zoom and everything. It's just it. Oh gosh, yeah, like like Fred, like you said, we could talk. We go scene by scene and just talk about Gordon Willis's genius. So I love yeah. it. Um, so uh, before we get into our next segment here, just wanted to uh, do a quick uh, introductions on a couple of things. So for instance, we talked a little bit uh, pre-show about this. I'm obviously not smoking tonight. I'm recovering from uh, from a, a pneumonia diagnosis and everything. So I uh, got some medicine in me. So feeling feeling a lot better than I was earlier this week. Uh, but uh, taking a break from cigars, unfortunately, because uh, I was really looking forward to some Louisiana cigars that I had picked up. Uh, thanks, Fred. Uh, and this is a great time to introduce Fred. The last time you were with us, uh, you were uh, you were uh, you were the founder of Nomad Cigars and Man About Town, author, commentant, you know, pungent, pundit, every you know, all great things, Renaissance man. <laughs> but now you're now you've all of those things, and now you're associated with the. Uh, you've done. Uh, you joined Dion's team there at Illusionist, so congratulations, sir. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I'm, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, as I said before, I mean, I, I after I sold Nomad, I was, you know, I was kind of that guy hanging out on a lot of shows, and everybody's just like, why is he still here? He won't go home. Uh, no, I just I enjoy smoking cigars. I enjoy talking to everybody. Um, and it was going to be one of those things if if I if if something came up that I thought was right and was a good fit and. I said before, um, and I probably should stop saying it because it's probably not complimentary in some cases, but there's only so many companies that I like the company and I like the cigars unequivocally on both sides. Uh, and, you know, I, I, di I didn't need to have the job in the cigar industry from that standpoint. So um, Deanna and, and I have been talking for a long time and um, we always thought, you know, whenever the fit was right for both of us and I happened to be in DR and he called me, I'm going, hey, I, you know, I want to I do it. So um, I'm excited. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about the role. Um, I love the cigar industry. I, I, um, it, to me, it's like the perfect thing because one, I don't have to worry about the portfolio. It's like, we're talking pre-show a little bit about it. And, you know, it's just kind of that cigar that, you know, it's, it's like the inner circle of cigars got true cigar geeks are like, yeah, these are great cigars. Uh, so for me, it's just, you know, getting that out into more hands so more people discover it, um, you know, that haven't and, and really realize what, what Dion does and how, you know, how particular he is in the tobaccos and how particular he is and everything about it. Uh, so I'm, you know, to me, it's, it's, it's all the fun part of the industry, really. Absolutely. Well, I, I mean, it's, you never went away, Fred, but it's, it's great to have you back. Uh, well, you have a reason to have me now, at least. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. But, uh, uh, but, you know, it's, it's really exciting. Um, it's really exciting because like, there, there are so there are so many different people in this industry that, you know, we talked about likability right earlier. There, that are very likable and 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 bring a lot of bring a lot of substance to what they do. And you know, that was one of the biggest that was one of the biggest losses when you when you sold Nomad for me was like, oh, I'm, I mean, yeah, Fred's still there. You know, it's not like you went away or anything like that. But it it was just something just wasn't right the industry not having you officially. And I know that seems a little over the top, but it, it, it was for me at least. And that, that's, that's a, that's a personal, that's a personal take. I, 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 I appreciate that. I really do. And I loved every bit of having the company and I wouldn't change it for me, just from a lifestyle standpoint, it changed. I mean, I started in 2012 and then, you know, then all of a sudden the FDA and, the, and all these other things coming down and 
it wasn't as fun for me. And I, I decided, you know, and I wasn't looking to sell it. Just, it just came across the table one day. But I mean, I was really, um, a lot of the fun parts weren't there. I mean, when I got to talk to attorneys every week or I got to worry about warning labels from California. No, they don't want warning labels. No, they do want warning labels. You know, just a lot of the fun was getting sucked out of it. And, and so, um, you know, it, it, was, it was time for a personal change on there. And I knew I would do something yeah, even after I sold it. I just didn't know what it was going to be. I just didn't know, you know, and I, and I was just patient enough to wait by. And like I said, it had to be on something that I was excited about, something I could get behind. And this was, this was the perfect fit for, for both of us. And I was, I was truly humbled when the announcement came out of how many people commented and said, oh, it's awesome for you to be back. It's a great fit for both of you, both on, on Illusione's side and what I brought to the table. Um, so I was, I, was really, I was really humbled by that because I've always tried to be in this, in this industry just honest about it. You know, when I had the company, I said everything I did right. I said everything I did wrong. Um, I love the culture. So I'm really happy to have a, a, a place back at the table that, that makes sense for everybody, including myself, especially myself. <laughs> Perfect. Well, congratulations, Fred. Um, Thank you. Another project that, uh, that you guys are starting, and this is something I'm truly excited about. And this will segue into uh, Sam's latest escapades. Uh, but the final puff is a project that you're putting together. So I'm real, uh, you put out the, the, uh, the trailer teaser uh, yeah. a few days ago. Yeah. Really, really exciting. So it looks like you're having some amazing conversations with some pretty amazing people. So I'm, 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 I'm so excited about this. Uh, I mean, how much can you tell about it? I, mean, I know you said you're going to be, yeah, I can, I can tell about it now. I mean, it's, it's all done. It's shot and it, starts, it should be out within about two weeks, at least the first episode of it. But, um, I, again, this was during that whole period of trying to decide what do I want to do, and part of the impetus was a little bit embarrassing, but I was actually walking at, at PCA, it was I, still IPCA at the time, and I'm walking down that long hallway to the convention center, and I'm, somebody's with me, and we're talking, and then these people are walking the other way, and they're all big names in the cigar industry, and, and, and it's hard not to sound like a dick when you tell the story now that I think about it, but I mean, they're all, they're all saying hi to me. I mean, they're all just like, Hey, Fred, how you doing? And stuff like that. And they're, they're all, they're all people I look up to. I mean, they're all big names. And so I was sitting in, I was sitting there and I'm walking around the floor and I'm trying to think what I want to do with it. And I kind of had this idea in my head. Uh, and so I kind of put it on hold because of COVID, but I thought, you know, I get to see these people at, you know, we'll be in DR and go to dinner or I'll be at their house or we'll be just smoking cigars or working on at the factory and, and just just as friends, just, you know, no agenda. I wasn't necessarily I wasn't making cigars with them or anything like that. Um, and I wanted people to see those people in that light. I wanted them. So, you know, like when they get on a Zoom call and there's a lot of guys, yourself included and Coop and some other ones that do great interviews with these people, but there's typically an agenda they're, they're, you know, they've got their latest cigar released and they're mm -hmm. talking about that. They're talking about a rating. They're talking about their next project and things like that. And I, and I wanted to have something that was almost like the actor's studio where yeah. it was supposed to be. My idea was it was 70% non-cigar related and 30% cigar related. In reality, you can't sit down with these people and not talk more about cigars in the factory. But I wanted the backstory. I wanted, I wanted, to, and I don't know if I pulled it off or not, but I wanted kind of the definitive interviews so it's like if, if you're smoking a fuente and you're like oh, i want people to go hey did you see that interview fred did with carlito and i did yeah. an hour-long interview with carlito that we're just sitting there talking about you know his story and the factory and every one of the episodes has moments in that they're like wow where you could just see them reach down and go wow that's a that's a tough question for me to answer and that's that's what i wanted 
but I do things differently. Look, I'm not a professional interviewer. I'm not like you guys. Yeah, I mean, Barry, you're awesome at it. And, and I just don't, I don't have that skill, but I did have access and I could shoot them in their own location where they wanted. So I bought, I paid for all of it. I brought, I had a three camera crew. They're, they're high def, uh, sounds just okay, but it's good enough. Um, but basically, you know, I've got Carlito and Manolo Casada and Lito and T Tony Gomez and Nurka Reyes and Hanky and uh, Klaus. And they all picked, you know, Hanky wanted to do it out in the field. So we shot it in the middle of a field. I mean, it's just, so there's just the, the, the idea. So there's, there's actually eight of them in total episodes. Nice. And so they'll, they'll be released about every two or three weeks. The first one should come out. The first one's Carlito and it'll come out in, uh, it should be out in about two weeks. I've, we're, we're just done to the last few edits on it. But I wanted something that people could just go, I want to, I want to hear more about this person without an agenda. It's not about me. It's not that I ever made cigars. I don't think it comes up in any interview of who I am and what it was. I'm just the guy there that could get them talking. And if I could ask the right question, they could talk for 10 minutes about something or tell stories. I, I tell you why I'm really excited about this, Fred, is um, it was you and me and you were holding court at Michael's Tobacco uh, years ago. And it was just after Avo Uvesian passed away. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I sat there and I listened to you for at least a couple hours, maybe even longer, just just talking about your memories of this man. And it wasn't about, yeah, there are words of wisdom that he imparted on you and things like that, but it was it was just it, it was it was one of my it, one of my favorite experiences of Scar Shop ever, like hands down. And oh, thank you. Um, and I know that that would have been one of the most amazing conversations for you to oh have. yeah yeah i wish i wish i wish that would have happened i really do but that that's where my mind went when i saw that you when you announced this project i was like oh this is going to be this is going to be awesome because of because of that memory for me so i'm i'm, I'm stoked for it man i really am it's going to be it's going to be awesome so uh really looking forward to all that Thanks. so uh, um so also also uh, other changes on the panel today so uh last time we did this uh our other uh, panelist, Sam Spencer, was of McAuliffe Cigars. Now he's of Michael's Tobacco. Uh, Sam, uh, stepping away from the cigar industry. You couldn't get away either, though. Uh, you, <laughs> you, uh, you stayed away for, I don't know, I think a couple of weeks, six weeks. I think you made it six weeks. I'm not sure. So, uh, but uh, what? Go ahead. Was it, it was eight? Probably, it was like two, two months, maybe, maybe eight weeks. You made it eight weeks? Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> welcome back to that as well. Um, but uh, tell us a little bit about uh, about your transition. I know we know you're no longer with McAuliffe and everything. Love, part on good terms, love them. Everything's great. But uh, you decided that you wanted to make a little bit of a career move. and uh, But this gave you a unique opportunity uh, with some recent news. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was, it was a tough decision. Um, but I decided ultimately earlier this year that, you know, maybe this wasn't something I wanted to do long term. You know, I did marketing at McAuliffe Cigars. I don't have a degree in marketing. I never wanted to do marketing. It just kind of stumbled into the role. Um, but I decided I wanted to go back and do something I've always thought about, which was to teach. So I went back, I got certified and I will be teaching history next fall. Um, but oh, you know, there, there is a summertime and there are weekends. So uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't stay away from the cigar business. So as of yesterday, I'm at Michael's Tobacco. Fantastic. Well, you picked a great you picked a great shop and some great people. That's for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. And not that they told me they were going to watch. So they are the best. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Brandon, Brandon was in here earlier. He was like, is this the wrong platform to admit that he's never seen The Godfather? And I almost cringed when I read that. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, Brandon. I hope oh. he, I hope he's choking, man. I hope he's fucking around. If if he's oh. not, then that you need to remedy that very soon, Brandon. Seriously. Yeah, um, and you literally could have watched almost all of it so far since yeah, we've been rolling. Definitely. So, um, so uh, but uh, congratulations, gentlemen, on both uh, both your career changes and everything. Uh, normally, uh, we do a charity segment uh, on this show. Uh, and each week I have uh, guests. But in honor of your career move, uh, Sam, I selected Teach for America, which is a great organization that uh, – that staffs uh, teachers in uh, in some communities that have um, that need it. So uh, great, great, great organizations. I have had I had five friends from college that all went through the Teach America program, uh, Teach for America program. It's a great organization that lends to communities that uh, that need good educational um, good educational systems and good people for those roles and. Uh, they uh, they staff them up, they train them, and uh, it's it's a really fantastic organization. So uh, you can take a look at. It. I'll put in some information in the show notes, and and uh, in honor of you tonight, Sam, I'm going to be uh, donating a small a small amount uh, to Teach for America because world needs great teachers. Welcome to welcome to the profession. So. Um, much to uh, Fred's fear on this next segment, I did I did uh, copy and paste on the agenda quite a lengthy list of the uh, of the cast and everything. Uh, I don't want to go through the entire cast and everything, but I think we do have to hit some highlights and stuff, uh, and which will all be uh, culminating into the who our favorite characters were. Um, but just some commentary and everything. So um, we we talked a little bit about Marlon Brando, um, bef- you know, early obviously early in the show, but Here's a question. When you guys think of Marlon Brando, do you think of Vito Corleone or do you think of another role? Do you think of just him as a phenomenal actor? Do you think of him as Colonel Kurtz in Apocalypse Now? There's another one. Uh, what, when you think of Marlon Brando, do you automatically think of The Godfather? Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, it's the role. For me, it's the role he'll always be known for, despite a really good list of films. Um, yeah, it'll always be The Godfather. Yeah. I mean, it was the first role that I ever saw him in. Like, I didn't go back and I didn't see any of, like, you know, On the Waterfront or, or anything like that, which is great film. Great film, and he's great in it. Um, I wasn't a big fan of his role in Apocalypse Now, um, which is interesting. So, like... Yeah, this is this is the role for me. Sam, same for you too. Absolutely. This was the first thing I saw Brando in and it's I mean it's unbelievable. This is the role that he's always going to be known for. What's the movie he did with Matthew Broderick? The Intern or the where he played he played he played the same role He played the same much, character. It, yeah. He's uh, a he's a parody of himself is what yes. he is. Um oh shoot. Uh, Sam, if you haven't seen that, it's a great follow-up to seeing him in The Godfather. Uh, it's Matthew Broderick. I, I can't remember the name. Um, I'll get it. You're looking it up. Yeah, I'll get yeah. it. Yeah, it's, it's like the intern or the. Oh shoot. Oh, uh, Matthew Broderick, Marlon Brando. 
Oh uh, gosh. Uh, the freshman. The freshman. Freshman, yes. Car yeah, he, he plays, plays Carbon Sabatini. Yeah. He's a parody of himself to the point that Matthew Broderick is thinking he's the godfather because you know we all remember him as that role. And he's kind of the same same role. Yeah. Uh, but in this other movie that's very well done. Um, you know, again, two strong actors are Matthew Broderick and and obviously Brando, but uh that's a that's a funny follow-up one that's obviously not you know bad movie, but it's good. Yeah, it's 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 pretty it's pretty hilarious. The the thing that uh the thing that I really liked about Brando in this film and everything is um it is just like his sheer presence and everything, like when he's on screen, he he com and I know that this has a lot to do with like the way Gordon Willis shot it and everything, but like he he is this you, you said it earlier, Fred, like everyone supports him. Like everyone in the room is looking to him. He's all he's bigger than everything else in the frame, the way that it's shot and everything. It's, it's very intentional and everything. Um, and I, I think he, I think he fills that, he fills that character really well. Um, and it's, he, uh, it's just absolutely great. Uh, really well done. And uh, this was a post that I put on Instagram where I asked uh, who was the better, who was the second best Godfather? Cause um, I had Marlon Brando as the first and uh, friend, I had you on there as a choice. And Robert De Niro, who played uh, who played a younger Vito Corleone in uh, Godfather Two, and and you won by like a very wide margin. So mine is misspelled. I, I mine's G O D F A D R, so it's misspelled. So it, it's I, I I I exclude myself from that. But uh, yeah, I mean Brando's always going to be the guy. And there's one scene, by the way, since we're talking about him, but I don't want to make this go on forever. But um, there is another the other scene that I think Brando fleshes out that character that's very interesting is the final scenes when he dies and he's playing with he's playing with uh, Michael's uh, son, I guess, in the tomato kind of patch area and stuff. Mm -hmm. And he's just he's just playing around. He puts like these, you know, he gets cuts up, makes like these false teeth, bang teeth things yeah. and he's running around with them and stuff. And it's just it's such a different way than you'd seen him during the entire movie. Mm -hmm. um, just because that burden is now gone from him and everything. Um, so yeah, I, 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 he's he's spectacular in that role, and he he commands a presence in every scene, like you said, due to a lot of logistical things. But the actor still has to pull it off, pull it off, and he does. Yeah, absolutely. I wanna I'm I'm gonna join the rejoin the conversation on this, but I need to step away for two seconds. But I know that he's one of your. Uh, we're gonna talk about favorite characters here in a little bit, but uh, Sam, I know you have a propensity for Al Pacino. And uh, his role is Michael. So why don't you give us your thoughts there uh, real quick and I'll be right back. Yeah, this is really interesting too, because I feel like, you know, without this movie, Brando is still Brando. He's still like in the Mount Rushmore of all time actors. Without this movie, who is Al Pacino? Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, do you get Scarface if you don't have this movie? And, you know, other movies that he's in following up it's like this is the role that made al pacino and mm -hmm. you know it's almost like you know it's his coming out party in terms of a big movie but at the same time it's his coming of age for michael and you know i mean coming of age i mean he's already a war hero but in joining his family's business but in the same way that you see brando as you know he's the biggest guy on screen he demands all of the attention Michael, Michael kind of takes over that role. You know, I'm thinking of the scene in Vegas 
where he's sitting down and he's talking to people who are standing up and the way it's shot, he's the most powerful man in the room and the way he delivers. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting the way that happens because it goes from him walking in in a crowd at the wedding to that. And, you know, sitting in Vito Corleone's chair and at the very end when the door closes, he's shaking hands and, you know, commanding operations almost. So I think that's really fascinating, the transition that he goes through. Yeah, I think one thing, I, I think that's an excellent point. I mean, I, I, I think if you really start talking about, you know, a best actor scenario, which we talked about earlier, um, nobody has, you know, everybody's pretty much, in a, in a role that doesn't have a massive story arc as far as their character having to change. Godfather's still the Godfather. You know, Tom is still Tom, Sonny's still Sonny. Um, you know, they're interacting in different scenes as themselves, as, as their character. But the one with the, the massive story arc is Michael. And yeah, that's, that's a freshman role for him, but it required, uh, you know, I mean, I, you know, it required so much of a, of a big person and I can see why there were there were misgivings of a studio going wait a minute this is a big role for somebody that we don't have enough bank in because you know one of the things you have to remember when they shoot a film it's not all done in order we get to watch it in order but you know they don't get the benefit of hey here's how I'm acting the beginning of the wedding and here's how I'm acting the end when I'm powerful it's all shot out of order and they've got to know where they are in their emotional being and then their story yeah. arc and, and, and react accordingly. Cause it doesn't, it, if, if Michael acts the way he does at the end in an earlier scene, it doesn't make sense. What, why, why would he be that? Why would he be that guy in Italy? Why would he be, why would he be acting like that? So what he had to pull off as an actor to do that, to, to control that story arc and, and make it believable to the rest of us, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, as far as if you really have the best performance of, of, of the, the, the film, it's him. Yeah, I I, th- I think so too. I think like overall, like like you said, the the unbelievable arc that he goes through, you you have to give it to him as far as is is the most you know transcending character, obviously, uh, for the film and everything. But I think it's it's not just there's a very defining moment that kind of kind of like triggers that that's the domino that tumbles and everything that eventually leads to this. But it's also still very gradual, and it's the way that he. It's the way that he goes about it. Um, and like you said, Fred, I mean, the, the, the fact that he had to master this, this character at different spots when he's actually doing it. And, and that's something a lot of people don't realize. Like you said, when, when, when they make a film, they make it out of order. And there's a lot that goes into uh, to this, to this skill of acting. Um, did, y'all, did y'all touch on the, the shooting scene at all? No. So... Um, what did you guys think of what did you guys think of um the assassination of Salazzo and McCluskey that that's like his his performance in that scene specifically like and overall like the way it was shot and everything what what uh what did y'all think of that specifically go ahead Tim okay you know it captures the emotion in in almost like the nerves of Michael because the way it's shot it's it's not like a lot of the shots where you're further back in the room looking at the whole table of people. So much of it is just focused on the individuals. And it's almost making it more personal that you know he's about to kill these guys, but also you know the internal dilemma that he's going through that you know he's never done anything like this before. 
he fought in the war, but that's different than what this is. Um, yeah. His brother says it earlier, like, hey, you, this isn't the army. You don't shoot him a mile away. Right. Exactly. Which I don't know if that does justice to what World War II was, but um, <laughs> it's really interesting because it's not the point where you see him go all in with the family. It's he's doing this for his family, but he almost still doesn't want to be involved. Yeah. And I think Al Pacino pulled that scene off extremely well. There's still a lot. Yeah. There's still a lot of reluctance. Like it, it, it's like almost like his, like a lack, also a lack of commitment to the plan. Like they, they repeat it over and over again. Like when Clemenza hands him the gun, he tells him the plan, what to do. They, Sonny repeats it again. When he's walking out the door, Clemenza says it again. And he still, he still messes up. He doesn't drop the gun right away. You know, he doesn't really make them relax. Like he almost instantly gets up. They have like that, you know, couple of minute conversation, um, mm-hmm. which is intentionally not subtitled because it doesn't matter because our, our job is to focus on, on Michael's reaction. Another brilliant move by, by Coppola there. So um, as far, as far as uh, how it reveals uh, his character, um, Fred, like what, what did, what did, what were your takeaways from this scene? Cause I think this is one of the, one of the more powerful scenes that he does. I think the scene's brilliant. And I think that we were completely set up for that scene to be brilliant. And the reason was exactly what you were saying is that no, no scene is rehearsed, if you will, by the conversations of how it's going to go down than any other scene. You're going to do this. The gun's going to be here. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. So we know exactly what's supposed to happen. We've been conditioned. We've been given the script in advance of the scene. And we walk in and from the moment he's in the car and it looks like they're going to the wrong location, you're nervous. Then they flip the U-turn. They end up pulling the restaurant. Okay, we're relaxed. Now they're back in the restaurant. They're just sitting down. They're going through the conversation. You're like, why is this? Why are we? Why do we pull back wide? And this guy's walking over behind the bar towards the register. What's he doing? What's he doing? Oh, he's just getting something out of the register. And you're like, okay, I don't have to worry about that guy. He goes into the bathroom. He can't find the gun initially. Where's the gun? The gun's not here. The gun's not here. The gun's not here. Okay, the gun's here. Okay, we're back to relax. He's got the gun because we're all of a sudden thinking he doesn't have the gun. He's supposed to shoot him the second he walks out of the bathroom. He doesn't. He sits down and he starts talking to them again. And like, you were supposed to shoot him when he got out. He doesn't drop the gun, as you pointed out. So this entire scene, we were given the script and yet Michael's going off script, which has us completely on edge because you're kind of rooting for him, but like, dude, you're screwing up. And so um, it, it, it's done so well because the rehearsal means that the guy is supposed to be polished. And the fact that to what, to what you know, Sam was saying earlier is he's not. He's nervous. This isn't what he does. This isn't, this isn't like being in the war. So everything in that scene plays brilliantly back to Michael's character. I, uh, good scene. There, uh, I, love, I love McCluskey's like arrogance, like just frisking this guy and like the, the, the backseat of a car and he feels like, oh yeah, he's clean. Like, it's like, yeah. Well, uh, even the line where he's supposed to ask permission to go to the bathroom. It's like, no, you don't ask if you can go to the bathroom. He doesn't ask. He's not going to take a piss. Yeah. I'm like you were supposed to ask. You yes. know, I mean, so it's just, it's, it's I mean, everything about that scene did not go the, exactly the way we were told it was going to go. Yeah. Like you said, he said, yeah, lower your hand and just let the gun drop. And he just starts walking away and goes, yeah, he just kind of flipped. <laughs> it's almost like a bat flip. Just, just like, I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah. It's like, re- really well done. I um, 
I, 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 I love that scene I, for, for all the reasons that I've already said and everything, the way that it's shot, the way that it's not subtitled, um, everything. I've, I've seen translations of what they talk about and everything, and it, but it honestly doesn't matter. It honestly doesn't matter. And it's crazy because you're, you're locked in for five minutes because all you're thinking about is him going to blow these guys, blowing these guys away. So um, awesome. Well, I loved talking about Michael. Um, so we've, we've brought him up a couple of times. I know I said, I, I'm a fan of, I'm a fan of the character. Uh, I didn't give him much credit during the Oscar segment and everything, but I, I love Sonny. I, I think he's, I think he's, he's the catalyst to so much of the film in terms of his energy. Like he's like, I told, like I said earlier, he's a hothead. Um, but I think James Conn really pulls it off incredibly well. Um, he has that kind of demeanor about him, everything, all the roles that I've seen him since as well. And even before that, he, he has that, it, 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 it just, it plays into his character really well. But uh, um, Sam, did you have any thoughts about Sonny? You know, like you said, I don't think there's a better way to put it than he's the catalyst for so many things happening in the movie. You know, whether that's the plot, it, I mean, mainly it's the plot because, you know, he's the one that really escalates this war. Um, and then even in his death, that's a huge part in Michael coming home and Vito kind of ending the war that's going on. Well, I mean, it doesn't really end till the end, but like really putting a stop to the violence. Um, but in some ways he's really likable. In other ways, you're like, this guy's despicable. Um, you know, we talked about um, Vito's quote, a man who doesn't spend time with his family and can never be a real man. And he kind of walks in at the end when he's saying that. Yeah. Like there's so much wrong with Sonny. Like a lot of bad things, you know, in his character, but you still end up kind of liking him. And I think it's set, such an interesting role and James Conn really pulls it off, whether or not he is remotely Italian, um, which is which is something is one of my nitpicks, but um, I, I really like the character and how it was played. what did you think about it? what do you think about his death scene? I mean, it's one of the all-time, that's one of the all-time gruesome ones. Like Fred was talking about the hundred squibs that were on his body. I mean, it just. Yeah, it, it's kind of, it's one of the all-time gruesome ones and you almost don't really see it coming until right before it happens. Um, I mean, and I've seen the movie plenty of times, but every time I'm like, you know, cause you see him leave to go beat up someone. Yeah. And you see him leave again, presumably to do something similar. And then all hell breaks loose. Uh, right. It's, it's like the classic death scene for a character. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it still catches, you're right, it still kind of catches me a little off guard. You're like, oh shit, this is where he dies. Damn it. Like, like I really would have loved to have seen the world, uh, you know, again, we kind of hypothesized earlier about whether Michael would come back to the family business, but I would have really loved to have seen the world where Sonny and Michael were both in the family business and what that would have looked like. Um, there's part of me that like that wants to see it, but uh, that wanted to see that. It's really interesting. It's just, it'd be two alpha like head guys vying for stuff, vying for this. You know, mm -hmm. one is, you know, the more soft-spoken 
but carries a huge gun. And the other one is waving the gun around like a madman and is kind of a loose cannon. Um, right. Like how that family would run and function is, is interesting to think about if they're both there. Have you ever thought about that, Fred? Like what that, what that, you know, again, what that hypothesis world would hypothesize where, what it would look like or. I, I haven't really, I mean, it's an, it's an interesting question. I mean, I, you know, I don't, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think he plays the role very well. I mean, it's his interpretation of how he thinks his dad react because his dad is not available during that entire time that he has to run the family. And he, and, and he, on one hand, he's tough on one hand, the other hand, he's defending his, his sister. Um, you know, and, and, and I think that death scene is, you know, the first time you see it, you, you don't see it coming because he's, you know, he's going on to, to, to Connie and, you know, and, and basically help her because she had just called him. Um, so it was, it, he plays that, he, he plays the role very well. Um, you know, the Italian thing aside, which, you know, again, that's just nitpicking, but um, he steps up, but he's, he's, the, he's the loose cannon among people that are pretty, pretty measured in all their decisions. Um, so it, it, it's, it's the perfect catalyst that to, to kind of shake things up a little bit. And, um, it, 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 I, I think he does a great job. Wait, what, what were your thoughts? What were your thoughts about the death scene? You had mentioned about the squibs and stuff like that, but like, Oh, I, I thought it was great. I, you don't see it coming. You, 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 you just don't. The first time you see that movie, you just do not see it coming. Um, you know, obviously they are not wanting to have a veto mistake where he's got five shots and still lives. So, I mean, they were going to make sure that there was no question he was dying even afterwards, after he's been shot, you know, how many times they walk up and shoot him again. Yeah. Um, and, and the you kick know, to the face. My God. And, you know, you're, it's, it's, it's desolate. It's the middle of nowhere. It's a toll booth. You know, all of a sudden the guy ducks in the toll booth and you're like, what's going on in another car? that you thought the car behind above in front or behind was with him. But then you realize the car in front of him was not with him. And it's somebody that just stops and block him. I mean, yeah, it, it's, 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 it's the, it happens so fast. And, and the finality of it is you're like, wow, these guys could be anywhere and someone could just take a hit on them. And with Supreme force, I mean, there's what, six, seven guys just there Light, that are yeah. shooting them. Lighten them I up. mean, there's like, there's three in the car in the front and also there's these other guys on the side. I mean, yeah, it was just, yeah, it was a great scene. Um, you know, here's the character we haven't talked quite a bit about. Uh, actually, I think we've mentioned him like maybe once. And I threw on the comparison on, on my Instagram about if, if Sam Spencer was the next Tom Hagen. 50 uh, 50 uh, split. So I guess uh, I, I don't know how you feel about that, Sam, but. Uh, but I've got too much hair. Split. I've got too much hair. That's true. That's true. So. I did like how I was able to get pictures of basically both of y'all in the same pose. Now that was really good. I was, um, yeah. But, um, but thoughts about Tom Sam? like what, you know, when you look at his character, like, what do you, like, what are, uh, first of all, I mean, Robert Duvall is incredible. And I don't think we've talked, we have, we certainly haven't given him enough credit tonight, but, um, but I, I think he's, uh, I mean, he's an amazing actor, but uh, what did you think about his role as Tom Hagen? You know, the role is really interesting because, I think it's tempting to look at Tom Hagen as weak and kind of as an outsider to the family, but he's also the consigliere and he's really calculating. You know, the horse head, which is something we haven't brought up yet. Yeah. I mean, it's, he was the one that was there. You, it's not shown that it's him, but he was there. Yeah. He was the only one there. Um, and I think it kind of plays it up at the end that, you know, he's the traitor because he's not the one that's actually in the family. 
Um, and it's not. And he's the one that's loyal and he's always there. Um, but he doesn't do anything dramatic. He's not overreacting like Sonny. Um, but he also can't stop Sonny from doing a lot of these crazy things. Like he can't stop Sonny from driving away to his own death. Yeah. Um, he pulls the guys to go follow him. So it's a really interesting dynamic that he plays because he's this extremely loyal, calculating individual, but he doesn't have the influence and the sway to, you know, stop Sonny or, you know, he gets demoted yeah. at the end of the film. Um, and, and part of that, you're like, well, why? You know, he's, he's been there through it all, through Vito, Sonny, and Michael. Um, he's been kind of the inner circle for all three of them. So it's, I, I think he's a really interesting character. Yeah, he, he, he has a lot of power, but he doesn't wield a lot of influence, like you said. Like he has, like even, you know, even Vito asks him about the drug business, right, at the very beginning. And both Sonny and him are like, yeah, this is a good idea. And he still doesn't do it. Um, you know, uh, you just articulated about how Sonny didn't listen to anything he said, pretty much. Um, or wanted, didn't want to listen to him, at least. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and Michael kicks him out. So. But, uh, but yeah, there's this, this undying loyalty, which is, you know, he, I mean, he considers, he considers Vito his father. Uh, I think that's, I think that has a lot to do with that. And um, the, the, the story, the, the character in the book is, is, is really, is really fabulous too. And I think, I think Robert Duvall brought it to, brought it to light really well. Um, Fred, did you have any, any thoughts on Tom? Yeah, I think, I think he, he, look, he's our, he's our bridge to the mob in that he's not a family member. So he's the outsider that gets to be in the inner circle. So he's the audience's bridge to getting to be in that room of somebody that is not part of the family yet. You know, he's, he's obviously smart. He's obviously, you know, he can, he can execute. He's had numerous parts where he's smart. Um, he, he, he's probably the most articulate out of everybody that that's in that room. Uh, but he understand he understands his role, uh, even when he is demoted, uh, doesn't get upset, understands that, you know, he's family loyal, knows there's a reason, knows, knows that he has to play it out. Um, you know, when he goes out and talks to the, the head of the studio, he's very calculated in it. Um, the scene that, that I think is, 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 is very telling of him and how comfortable he is in his skin is when they're eating, when he's eating dinner with the studio head. And then all of a sudden the studio head just starts going ballistic and he's just finishing his dinner, drinking his wine and like, all right, you know, I mean, but just as, as calm as can be. Um, and I think that's a great, I, I think that's a great scene, uh, which, you know, leads to the, the, the famous horse head, which, uh, you know, spoiler, if you haven't seen it, he wakes up with a, a horse head in his bed, which by the way, fun fact, was a real head. Was a real horse head. It. So the guy freaks out because then all the rehearsals, it's not a real head. And they went to a dog food factory and got a real head and threw it into the bed with him. So, um, uh, yeah. So, uh, but anyway, Tom's character, uh, I, I think very well done. I actually like his character more than I like Sonny. It's just because I found it to be more of an interesting spot. You know, he's not there by birth. I mean, he's, mm-hmm. kind of, he's, he's part of the family, but not. And like I said, he, he's kind of that bridge to us to go, oh, look, someone that's not really born in the family gets to be in the inner circle. Yeah, John, John Marley's reaction, uh, who plays Jack Waltz, is in the bed is yeah. just nuts. I mean, it, 
it's it, i mean it seemed genuine because it actually was you know years later i found that out. i was just like i mean but it i mean just just a just an absolutely brutal brutal scene so um you know and then i mean it just again it, the para the parallel into to godfather 2 when he you know with the with the senator and the dead the dead prostitute and unbelievable we're you know we went from horse heads to, to to dead people and stuff but uh a little bit of a too much of a digression here but um there are a lot of great i think there are a lot of great character actors in this film you know we already talked about uh castell richard castellano playing clemenza um you know sterling hayden playing captain mccluskey uh, i just mentioned marley um you know i did want to talk about um there one other one but uh i wanted to see if there was was there anyone in particular does anyone want to talk about diane keaton's performance as k adams because i have a pretty hot take about this but i okay. wanted to i wanted to give you guys the floor is there anyone that y'all wanted to talk about that you're like hey i really like this character or i really didn't like this character or what well i think for not not wanting um francis coppola did not want Talia shire to be in the movie um, and he was basically talked into it. I thought she did an incredible job in that role. It's not, it, you know, it, it's, it's the victim role through most of it. Um, but I mean, her scenes are very emotional, very difficult. Um, you know, when she was doing the thing where she's throwing dishes and stuff all over there, uh, all over the place, uh, she had lost a shoe in the middle of that shot and kept doing it because she knew it would be impossible to reset all that stuff. So she risked, you know, walking around on, on the ceramic pieces of whatever she broke, uh, missing a shoe. And um, I just think she, you know, for somebody that they, they were concerned, or at least Coppola was concerned that she would not, you know, be able to do the role. I thought she was, she was very good. Yeah. She can't, she's caught a lot of flack over the years uh just because of the like she's very she's very over the top of some of these scenes and everything like that i think i mean that that scene in particular is one of the more oh god it's one of the more gripping ones because it's just it's so it's it's too it's almost too real and mm -hmm. like i mean i mean the fact that he takes his belt off and he's actually hitting her with it oh yeah 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 and then and then he goes behind the bathroom door and then you just hear her screams and her shrieks it's like Oh, it's just bone chilling, man. It is bone chilling. Um, but yeah, she's a uh, she's she's taken a lot of crap over the years. But I think I I do. I really I really like her in the role. I think I think she does. I think she does an incredibly good job. Um, Sam, any thoughts on Connie or or uh, Talia Shire's Connie, or did you have another character you wanted to to pop in here? Well, I completely agree with you with Connie because I mean the scenes where I mean it's domestic abuse. And we're watching that scene and it's just almost like heart-wrenching. Um, but I mean, at the same time, we just, we watched like 10 people get killed before that. And it wasn't <laughs> didn't, didn't bad an eye. Yeah, didn't bad. Um, but I, I may have the same hot take as you about Diane Keaton and Kay Adams. So I want to hear, I want to hear your take. Okay, so um, I, I, I like Diane Keaton. Uh, she, you know, I think she's, I think she's a, I think she's a great actress. I've liked a lot of her films. Um, I think, you know, she did a lot of great work. Again, we talked about the 70s and, and everything. There's some some great films that she was in. I think she was great in Annie Hall and, you know, a couple other, you know, a couple other films and everything like that. So, I, I mean, she's not my favorite actress, um, but I mean, she's I, she's exceptional, right? Um, Kay Adams, the character, kind of 
and I, I know this friend's probably going to say this is purposeful, but I'll, I'll, I'll wait to get his thoughts. I won't think for him, but like, she's like the poster child for like, I'm not supposed to be in this movie, but I'm here anyway. So I'm just going to hang out. Like the character is just bad. Like she, like, like she is like often really confused. Like, I mean, it's, it's clear that she knows what Michael's family does for a living, but yet she asks all the stupid questions and like, and she just has this, she's just, it's just, just a weird character. Like he comes back after like five years, she's like walking kids down the streets. Presumably she's a teacher. I mean, here's a lesson for you, Sam. Don't abandon your fucking kids. Like she just gets in the car with him. Like what happens to the kids? Like, like, like it's just, it's just like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get her character. I, I, I just, oh, I, it's just a bad character. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I know why she's there. Um, she's a lot better. It's, 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 it's a lot better in two, but I, oh God, no, just don't like, I just don't like the character. Nothing against Diane Keaton, but just don't like the character at all. Um, I completely agree with you. Just the level of dumb that happens. It's just like this guy disappeared for five years. He comes, he looks evil when he gets there. Yeah, he, he looks like freaking Al Capone. Like, just appeared at her workplace on her way walking children. Um, it, she's just cool that he's been married. Like, he moved on. Right. And then came back and was like, I want you back years later after I haven't returned any letters, calls, anything. And clearly, he's in a family business now. <laughs> Do you think she knows about Apollonia? Th- that's a great question because it's never brought up. But yeah. how does I don't understand how she doesn't know? Like, I get you know maybe everyone that was there is still there besides him. Mm-hmm. Maybe that, and he just doesn't tell her because I mean he lies to her face at the end of the movie. So right, it's Michael to do that. Um, I don't know. There's just so many questionable decisions being made by Kay Adams in this movie. It's not even questionable. They're just stupid. It's yeah. just, <laughs> it's just uh, she's lost. I don't know. I don't get it. Fred, are, are we crazy or or what? Or... No, no. I mean, honestly, I mean, so I saw them originally as, as they came out. So, I mean, I saw them in order. So um, she, her role redeems in, in two million fold. Um, as far this as this must know, all end yes <laughs> but 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 uh, the the only moment of substance is when is 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 her final scene with michael when he says okay you get the one thing and he lies to her and she knew the she knew it's a lie but it was the answer she wanted but it's the only time you saw any depth of character her that, that you're like i mean you know i i'm you know I remember originally when you see her pop up later, like, oh, do we really have to see her again? And I and, and she's a good actress, but there's no depth in that role whatsoever. I mean, and they've spent so much time on 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 FaceTime or story arcs of different people. Um, you just have no idea of motivation of her or what you know why she was enamored with it or anything. Um, it just didn't make sense. Um, and I and honestly, I think that's really. I mean, because she is a good actress, I think it's just more on certain screen time. And I wonder, did they leave scenes out that would have maybe you know understand her motivation behind this a little bit more? But the the scene where she where where she drops the kids, 
and then they're walking down the street, which by the way, I'm just gonna accept that she handed off the kids to somebody else because they're still walking and it's it's a new scene, they're walking farther down the street. But the moment of her no to going in the car, we see nothing in her changing her mind or going a lot or anything whatsoever. So it's I don't know. I, 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 we're wasting more time on talking about her than she should have been in the film in the first one. So um, yeah, I, I I totally agree. True point. So so couple couple of things that, on characters. So um, last thing that I wanted to mention. Did you guys have any other characters you wanted to talk about? Well, I think the fact that the uh, singer in real life pissed off Frank Sinatra, thinking that it was all about him, means Al he Mart did a good job on the role. Al Martino, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, me, me, means he did a good role, a good job on the role, because Sinatra was pissed about it. Oh man, I mean, really pissed. So I'm like, so that that means that he obviously played that role well. <laughs> so here's here's something that here's something that's aged really bad. Um, the uh, we've mentioned her a couple of times, but. The actress who played Apollonia uh, was one Simonetta uh, Stefanelli. And um, this film was, uh, this film was made in, uh, it came out in 1972, but it was made in 1970. Um, she was born in 1954. She was 16 when she did this film. Um, so I can't, I can't watch that. I can't watch the marriage scene anymore. <laughs> like, I mean, uh, um, that's when I found that out, I, I just, and I found that out in adulthood, like that just like grossed me out, man. I just, I couldn't believe that I, I didn't that, know that. I couldn't, believe, I can't, I can't believe it. I couldn't believe they'd allow, like, I know it was this, look, I know it was the seventies. I know it was a different time. I know it was 50 years ago. I get it. But how, how do you, how does that happen? Like, how do you, it's not like, and, and apparently this was like known she was 16. Like, it wasn't like Mila Kunis on the scene of that 70s show who was lying about her age. Right. Um, like, apparently it was, they, I mean, they chose her, they picked her out because, you know, she was, I mean, she was half the age of Al Pacino, which, I mean, that happens in film all the time. So that's, that's not the disgusting part, but she's a minor. Oh man. Um, can't, can't look at that scene anymore without thinking of she's a very beautiful young woman um and i i thought that they they cast that part perfectly but uh fine um uh, the uh the post-wedding scene afterwards is awful and then of course her death scene is just absolutely gruesome it's just awful it's just terrible mm -hmm. but um i mean i mean she she's one of the i mean she is actually what i mean she has to be the the only innocent life lost in this right like truly innocent in this film i can't think of anyone else that didn't deserve to die for one reason or another um you know and the five families were killed whoever the gal in bed with the other guy probably with Italia. To uh, yeah yeah she yeah, yeah. that's probably probably the other than that but yeah i mean as far as uh, you know yeah for sure okay. so all right so we've talked we've kind of mentioned this a little bit haphazardly so favorite characters so fair character. So uh, I'm I'm a P. Clemenza guy. I I just he's 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 my favorite. Uh, I think he always will be. Uh, he's a little bit of an historian like me. Uh, he loves to cook just like me. Uh, he's the glue that kind of binds people together. Uh, he's funny. He's articulate in his own way. Um, 
And uh, you know, I, I, I just love, I just love his character. I think he's, I think he's phenomenal. I think he, uh, Richard Castellano did an excellent job. Um, Fred, I have a feeling you're going to agree. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, I mean, look, I mean, you can say how well they all did, but I mean, it's, I always look for that guy that's behind the scenes, like I said before, or that's kind of off to the side, that's just kind of hold, you know, fleshes it all out a little bit. I think he does that, and to a lesser extent, Abe Bogota does that um, as well. But yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's tough to beat his role. It is tough to beat Clemenza. I really love the role of Tom Hagen with Robert Duvall, but I mean, I have to agree and say Clemenza. I mean, it's. I feel like it's almost a cop-out answer to say like Marlon Brando or Al Pacino, but they're both phenomenal in their yeah. movies. But I feel like as you watch this movie again and again, you keep gravitating towards those those parts with Clemenza. Okay. I think it's just Even his likability, though. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. I like Michael's story more, obviously. Like yeah. from 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 that perspective, like the, like he's my favorite character from a story perspective, but. But yeah, I mean, he just he Clemenza makes everything better. Um, I also th- I also think uh, Luca Brazzi, right? Luca Brazzi, he's another one that just you, you think he's stupid, but he's not because Vito gives him a pretty important thing to go do, you know, at one point and stuff. But he's that guy that's you know in the movie he's super nervous when he's out there rehearsing what to say. That to was Brando. real. That was real. Yeah, no, yeah. Yeah, because he was nervous about acting with Brando, and they just, so, they just kept it. Yeah, he's out there because <laughs> they shot. Yeah, so they shot the scene. He was stumbling over his lines. They kept it, and then invented the scene where he was going to be sitting outside, rehearsing what he wanted to say because he was going to be nervous and saying, "Thank you for inviting me to the wedding." So, but he's another character, you know, that is is kind of that neat kind of, you know, sideline part of the core group type thing. That uh, he was neat. I mean, not to a lesser extent, obviously, but right. Yeah. Well, it, that was the Instagram post I put up was like me. Uh, was I Luca Brasi or, or P Clemenza? And I, uh, apparently everyone thinks I'm Luca Brasi. So I'm, I, 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 I mean, there's, there's complimentary, complimentary elements there. I, you know, sure. for sure. Uh, loyal, undying loyalty, which is really good. Um, have you, so have, I've mentioned the book a couple of times tonight. Have you guys, either of one of you all read the book? I have not. No. Okay. So, um, Luca's character is actually pretty prominent in the book and there's a scene where uh it it, and actually it it comes out in the book too that the only man on this planet that Vito Corleone is afraid of is Luca Brasi Mm -hmm. and Luca is undyingly loyal to to Vito thankfully right and there's a scene apparently that where Luca saves Vito's life where he he literally beats five people to death in front of him like it's he's he's a really well built out character in the book um and i it's a shame that he doesn't get a little bit more here but yeah i really i love i love that that was real that they did the (laughs) traversing the lines because he was just so nervous about going with brando it's fantastic so um but yeah so so clemenza was a man i i was i i i felt like i was picking something off wall i did this last time too um and uh but we all we all kind of agree that he's the he's the one. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, um, so gentlemen, just a quick break here. What um, since I'm I'm smoking by proxy tonight? What are you guys enjoying for me tonight? Uh, I had a fume de amor. Um, now I'm smoking the Rex. Yeah, you you, 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 you started the evening that way, right? I did. 
I did. Yeah. Nice. What What is it about that cigar that you that you like so much, Fred? The The Rex is great because um, it's just it's such a powerful smoke for how small it is. When you're when you're looking at you know we talked about this before the show as far as time and things like that. Um, I just like it. Just got so. I mean, I, I don't know how you get that much later in a small package. I mean, to, to put it simply, um, it's just it, and and it is all the way through. Um, I just, I just, you know, the one thing about Dion that I love about his, his palate and how he blends, he blends everything for flavor and then the strength kind of falls where it does and he'll rebuild accordingly based on the tobaccos he has, but he'll, he'll, you know, pause or do something different based on, based on what he has. He's so particular in it. Um, there, there is not anything in, in his blend that has not completely been thought and rethought and and made sure i mean he's down there every six weeks checking the tobacco that's going to go into the cigars i mean he's he's just that meticulous about it. but this is one that for me if you can find it, it's called the rex it comes in a, in a in a bundle um and it's just it's just got a lot of really good flavor to it it's not just a bundle it's a gold bundle it is a gold bundle you're right you're absolutely right it, it, it i don't have it out here it's in the humidor but it's it's a it's a, it's a gold bundle it's a real it's a really good smoke i there's so much. There's so much of Illusiones portfolio that I'm I'm, I'm a fan of. Of course, Epernay, um, the Fumé de Mor. We were talking a little bit about before the show. I think that's one of the the unsung heroes of it. Sam, yeah, you've got your you were, you know, you're you're you've been a fan of Illusiones for a while too as well. You, I know you're a big fan of the Hot Tens. But what are you smoking tonight? I am. I am a big fan of the Hot Ten. I have that probably next because it's just one of my favorites. But to touch on the Rex before I get into what I'm smoking. I think IPAs pair terribly with cigars, just as a standard. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. Yeah. But for some reason, I found that the Rex will hold up with you know, really? obscure beer, but it's a mosaic commu- community IPA. Oh, they're in, okay. Um, Interesting. And it holds up. It smokes beautifully. I don't know if it's just my palate's weird in this one instance, but I buy that cigar by the bundle. I absolutely love it. Uh, but I started out with an Epernay Corona. Clearly, we're two hours in. That cigar is finished. Um, and I am now smoking the OG, the Oh, nice. Yeah. The original. This was the first Illusion, correct? I believe it was. Well, the uh, of the OGs, there's, yeah, the original documents, there, it's one of those. So I don't yeah. remember the exact order of them, but yeah. Mm. But there, that's one right now. It's absolutely delicious. The, the, hot, the hot one right now that everyone's talking about that got some rave reviews towards the end of the year was the, the Piv Robusto. Uh, Fred, Fred, what were your thoughts on that cigar? Because that was a I little bit it. different. I mean, than... you know, it was it was different, which was interesting because, you know, Dion didn't do. I mean, he's look, he's he, 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 it's funny. We were just talking about this uh, about a week ago and um I, I had to do a thing for a show and we had to do an unveiling of what it was. And I, we actually got Jeremy Piven to do the video, which was great. But I, you know, I had Dion on the zoom call with everybody afterwards and I'm asking questions of Dion that I already know the answers to, but I wanted everybody else to hear the answers. But, you know, for Dion to do a collab with a celebrity is just really, if you'd, you know, asked him that, he, there's no way, but, you know, Jeremy's definitely a cigar he, 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 he loves cigars. He's a guy when he's doing a show or whatever or on a shoot, he'll walk into the local cigar bar and sit down and just be talking, shooting the shit, smoking cigars. 
So, I mean, he's a true, a true fan of that. And he liked what Dion was doing and they worked together on it. But, um, you know, Dion went back and forth with them and what he liked and kept tweaking and tweaking the blend, but it is a little, it, it is, it is different. It's not like Dion took any of his blends and just, you know, stamped on a, a new band on or anything like that. It's a little bit different. It's got, it's got a lot of body to it. It's got a lot of flavor. Uh, it's only in the Robusto, which is a great size in my opinion. Um, so I just think that the, the flavor profile of it, but, it's so hard because I mean, you know, you look at that portfolio and like I said, they're, they're all subtly different. Um, one of the things Dion does really well on a Nicaraguan, and we've talked about this um, just in general on shows and stuff, but you know, for the most part, you know, when you start talking about aroma, which Dion pulls off in his cigars, that's very unusual for Nicaraguan. When Nicaragua first started, everything was a spice bomb. And then they had to learn to blend down, in my opinion, from the spice bombs and, you know, get more subtle, get a more well-rounded, if you will. DR was the other way. They're going through the thing now going, well, yeah, we can make strong cigars, but they're not known for that, particularly in the beginning, with the exception of maybe LFD and some other ones. Um, so Dion actually is so into the tobacco and so into the smells and everything of it. He pulls off things that have more, you know, in the retrohale much more subtly than I see out of a lot of other Nicaraguan ones. And that's why when you're looking at his portfolio and you're smoking through them, um, you can't just go, this one's going to be exactly like this one. Cause they're not, they're, they're, they're all, they're all different. Um, and it, it, it's, a, it's amazing to smoke through that portfolio. And obviously you find your favorites, you find out your favorites in any, anybody's portfolio, but um, how vastly different and how broad his portfolio is and how, how his palette is, is really that dialed in, which, there are really few guys of that caliber. So you talked about his meticulous nature and everything, Fred. I, you know, I, this, this is intended as a complimentary question. Um, Cause I know he does have his detractors. We mentioned a couple earlier in the show and everything, but is, I mean, is Dion the, the Francis Ford Coppola of the cigar world? That's, that's funny. Um, look, I, I, I think, and it's not cause I work with him cause I've liked his stuff for, for years. Oh yeah. For like years. That, but, but but honestly, he he's just kind of a mad genius. I mean, just just I mean, you know, look, you know, you look at his role models, you know, like Panky and stuff like that. These are people that are known for dividing up the palate and where the flavors are and everything else like that. But he starts with tobacco, and he is such a machine. Like I said, I mean, he's like, you know, what farm is it from? What part of the farm? I mean, he wants very. He knows what he wants. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so you'll smoke something, go, oh, that smokes really good. And he's like, no, nah, something's not right. It's just, it's, it's just slightly off. And he just, he's so, he's so, that so exact on it. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I would say that. And I, and I think there's a very short list of people that can do that repeatedly over lots of blends that, you know, if you want, if you want a strong cigar, you look, that, that's easy. You just throw enough Lajero in there and stuff like that. And that guy's going to be happy. But if you want something that's on the medium, medium plus that has a lot of flavor, and real, real depth to it. That's that's a lot tougher, and it's certainly a lot tougher to do over and over again. I mean, like I said, I think I don't know if it was on the show or Bruce show, but he's you know he's had like fourteen on the top twenty-five cigar aficionado. Mm-hmm. He's you know he, he 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 can repeat it, and that's rare. But that takes a guy that's down there every six weeks that knows the farms, knows what he wants. I think he's one of the individuals that really have you know transcended uh, the 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 wall of boutique to like you know, larger, larger factories, like, and, or, or even like more newer, the newer players in the field, so to speak, versus like the, the old guard, he's, he sits right in the middle, I think. And he holds, he holds so much respect from both sides of that aisle. And, and, 
I think that I think that's probably one of one of his biggest attributes is just that how how well defined he is in this industry and how you know because I mean Luzio is not a big brand. I mean you, you guys. I mean it's you know the portfolio is really vast, but it's not like it's not like y'all are churning out you know 10 million, 14 million cigars a year. Like that's just not y'all. No. And I don't, I don't think they, I don't think that, that we ever will. I, I I just think that he is so specific on the tobacco that it's just not going to, we're not, we're not going to put out 10 million cigars. Yeah. You know, it's just not going to happen because of, because of what he's so, what he, what he, he's so specific and what he wants. Yeah. And then the, the small guys look up to him because of what he's done with that. And then even the, the big guys or the old guard look up to like, look up to him or have respect for him because of the way that he's gone about it. And so, well, it's like, it's like we talked about, you know, I, mean, I always go back. It's funny when I started this guy, I always go back to that cigar press cover that had the yes. guys on it. Yeah. And it was, it was Dion. It was Pete, George. It was George Pete, Rico. It was Jonathan. It John was, Huber. Um, John Huber. John Huber. And you look at those guys and, and you look at, and you look at Dion and you look at his portfolio and He's not out doing events. He's not on the road 250 days out of the year. He doesn't, he, you know, we don't have an in-house rep. We have brokers. Uh, we have in-house accounts and we have brokers. How do you, how do you, if you look at when he started and you look at now, how are you still even in play as great as you are when you don't, when you're not playing the swag game and you're not playing, you know, vying for attention and getting everybody's face every two seconds. That says a lot. That's why it is the cigar geeks kind of cigar. This, you know, I mean, it's like, it's like we said that, you know, you talk to a rep that walks in and you mentioned Luciano, like, oh, I love that line. You know, I've got some in my humidor here. I mean, it's just, it really is the cigar guy's cigar. And right. if you know, you know. Yeah, I've always described it to my friends who, you know, they're in their 20s, they don't know a ton about cigars. Uh, it's, it's the guilty pleasure of everyone in the cigar business. Is what yeah. Mean. Like, I, I haven't mean, met someone who's in the business who doesn't love them. They're just the cigars. I don't, I don't know any. Yeah. And, and that's Bear's point. I don't know anybody that doesn't on both sides of the fence. Don't go. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's a dialed in portfolio. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, you and you were you were a big proponent that too. And for, for one of the things I always liked about when you were when you were running Nomad, you, you know, you were very open. A lot of people aren't, but you were very open, like to, to smoking other people's things. In fact, whenever you would come see me yeah. at Michael's, you would be like, hey, hand me something. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, don't, look, I don't mean, make I it love, a nomad. No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, basically, look, if, if you're one of those guys, and I've said this a million times, if you're all those guys that say that like, um, oh, you know, all my stuff's the best and everybody else sucks, then you're, you're naive or lying one of the two, because there's so many great cigars out there, you know, I mean, you know, and so, yeah, I, I mean, if you're somebody that, you know, you should be trying new things, you should see what you like. Absolutely. So, um, the uh, the last segment before we go into actually the last two segments that we have tonight one is our our moment of asylum which is a newer segment here mostly this is related to cigars but I thought I would tie it into tonight's theme about film and that of course is uh, refuge is more than just a physical place it can be a state of mind some of life's greatest reflections can be found in your own personal asylums uh, moments like these were made for asylum cigars light up an asylum and choose your refuge so. Gentlemen, the point of this, you can answer this twofold if you want, but I wanted to tie it into today's theme about film. Um, you know, film kind of brought the three of us together. We have friends that all watch films and everything like that. Cigars are the same way. Cigars are very communal and they're very, it's very much about getting together and everything like that. But every so often there's 
a moment with a cigar. It's just you and the cigar. And you look back and you're like, damn, that was really, that was a really great moment. That was a really beautiful moment. And I've also had that kind of, I've had that experience with films too, where I've literally watched it alone and had a reaction to it. And uh, so I, I threw, I threw the one about the film in there just because of tonight's subject and everything. Um, is there a film that, uh, that you watched alone and just, you know, had that kind of reaction to it or, um, or, or not? I know, like, I, I know you guys had to look at the, I kind of caught you off guard with this question. So. We were, we were talking when, um, before the show started about that. And I mean, it's interesting as, you know, to watch a film by yourself. I mean, I get what you're saying on the cigar thing. Cause sometimes you're just in that moment, you're by yourself and it's just like, wow, this is really good. I don't know on film stuff. Cause I don't, man, I think I'd like to watch all films by myself really. But I mean, like I don't go to the theaters a lot cause I just don't want the distraction unless I think it's something that has to be on big screen. Um, the only film for me, which is still my number one film um, ever that, that I, I saw initially, I think I saw by myself and, and I could sit down and watch over and over again by myself, The Shawshank Redemption. And that's because uh. I just, the way, the way that film is, it's somebody sharing a story with you. And so it was the first, so back, I was in college and I was actually in, in taking a film school segment of it. So I had seen a million films and analyze them and all that crap. Father was certainly one of them. And I remember seeing Shawshank Redemption in the theater and it was the first film I'd ever seen that I walked out of the theater and I just wanted to go walk back in and hear it again. It's just somebody telling you a story and the way it's unveiling. So that's, a, that's one for me. I mean, otherwise you just go, with, you know, just stupid guilty pleasure movies that you're laughing that you just don't want anybody to see that you're, you're really watching this movie because it's so stupid. You can laugh out loud without being judged. But for me, it'd be, you know, Shawshank Redemption is just one of those ones that I can always just settle in and just I'm just going to listen to the story. Yeah. No, that's, God, that's such a great film. That's awesome. I love that movie. Um, what about you, Sam? Did you said, I know you said that you don't really, you really can't remember watching, you don't really watch a lot of movies alone, but. That's true. Like nowadays, now I'm married now. And, you know, if I'm watching a film by myself, it's because I really wanted to watch it and my wife didn't want to watch it. You know? <laughs> right. Typically, that's how it is. Um, for example, she doesn't want to sit down and watch three hours of the new Batman movie. So I'm going to end up watching it like tomorrow by myself because I really want to see it. But I didn't know how to answer this question at the beginning of the show. And now that I've thought about it, I think it's more of like a sentimental thing for me. Um, yeah. Growing up, you know, my besides like, you know, kids movies and stuff. The first thing I did was my dad and I would sit down and he'd show me John Wayne movies that came out when he yeah. was a kid. And I think of movies like Hellfighters, Rio Bravo, um, Atari, uh, movies like that. You know, I just sit down and, you know, my problems are gone for two hours. You know, anything I'm worried about, I'm just, I remember times that I watched this with my dad or I even just watched it by myself when I was growing up and just appreciate the movie. You know, they may not be, you know, they're not the godfather, they're not the greatest movie of all time, but sentimentally it's, you know, you know, late one night, you're up by yourself, just relaxing. And it brings back some great memories. So I think there's several movies with John Wayne, but the one in particular is Hellfighters. That's a really, I, I love that movie <laughs> too, by the way. I love John Wayne. 
my my father did the same thing with me too, Sam. So that's a really obscure. That's a that's a deep dive pick of John Wayne, man, because it's a real cheese ball film, it and it's it's fucking great too. I love it. So, uh, Fred, Fred, have you ever seen Hellfighters? John Wayne? Yeah, 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 yeah. I was gonna say, I was gonna actually say the same thing. That, that's a pretty deep dive into the portfolio there because it's not one most people would come up with. Yeah, no, you pick John Wayne, they're like, oh, True Grit, you know, something like that. Green Berets. Oh, that's my John Wayne hot take, man. The Rooster Cogburn character. I'm not like I I'll, look. I'll watch those movies a hundred times. I don't care because I love John Wayne. That's like my he's like my least favorite John Wayne character. I absolutely agree with you. It's is, I, I watched <laughs> all the other movies before I watched that one. Yeah. Oh man. It's yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's another show. But for me, for me, I, I thought about this because um, I, you know, watched a lot of films with my dad too. So it's so, so same kind of takeaway there, Sam, but for me, nothing will meet the beat the first time that I watched Saving Private Ryan by myself. I watched it by myself. Mm. I watched it for the first time and I watched it by myself. And, and uh, it was a copy of a VHS recording. So my, long story short, my, my, my French teacher in high school, my, my sister was very close with her. She used to house it, but she would get all these, like, all these movies uh, taped because she had like all the cable and stuff. So she would make copies and she's like, you can make copies of whatever you want. And so, you know, this was before DVDs and all this other stuff. So I had a VHS copy of, of Saving Private Ryan and I watched it by myself. And um, I mean, there, there are a few times in my life, like real life events that I cried as badly as I cried when John Miller dies on the bridge. I mean, those were some ugly, ugly tears from you know i think i was eight, i think i was 18 or 19 years old but those were some those were some ugly tears by myself sitting on my parents couch watching this film and that i mean that that movie was so moving to me um the one that still gets me to this day i can't i can't make it i can't make it through that and i can't make it through a few minutes later when it the it uh the film transfers to to modern day and it's you know Matt Damon's character is now old and grown. He, he asks his wife, he's like, tell me, he's like, tell me I'm a good man. And I, I fucking lose it, man. I'm just, I'm dead. I'm just gone. I just, Oh, it's just so powerful. So powerful. Like great, great film. So um, that was, uh, that was our asylum segment. So kind of wanted to go into a little bit of curveballs. Normally the curveball segment's a little bit more uh, geared toward obviously our guests, but I thought this would be fun to explore is the, the casting. What ifs for the Godfather, uh, there's a huge list. And I know you've got one big one that you wanted to mention on Vito Corleone. Uh, but I've got one. I, I want to hear yours. And I've got another one on that list because the list is pretty extensive. So, um, yeah, mine's right. actually mine's not actually on Vito. It was actually, well, it, it, there's conflicting information on whether it was supposed to be Michael or Sonny, but it was Tom Selleck, uh, which I think would have been oh, a complete disaster. God. <laughs> And, and, and to the point, by the way, so my understanding, because it wasn't Vito's character because Brando was already uh, cast. My understanding was, is the offer was already made. And the reason it was rescinded is Brando refused to work with him. Uh, and there was something, and, and I don't remember the story. There was something, uh, something happened in the past, something that, that Brando did not want to work with him. And I don't remember what it was specifically, 
but Tom Selleck was pretty much like if he wanted the, he had it. I don't remember if it was Michael or Sonny uh, or Tom oh. for that matter. I really don't remember which, but it was one of the main ones. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that would have been horrible. I know a couple of. Oh no no no! Of... I'm sorry. No, no I'm sorry. Hold on. Hold on. I, it was not Tom Selleck. I was thinking of Indiana Jones or anything. It was Burt Reynolds. I'm Burt sorry. Reynolds. Burt Reynolds. No, yes. It was Burt Reynolds. It was Burt Reynolds. Sorry, yeah. I, I apologize. I, we were talking about Indiana Jones thing before the show. Yeah, no, it was Burt Reynolds. Yeah, he was. He was considered for the role of Sonny. That's right, man. That's just. I mean, just unbelievable. Um, like, oh god, that would have. <laughs> that would. That that would not have been. A good film. Yeah. No, the. Uh, there, there's the list for that people that either wanted the role or were considered for the role of Vito was is pretty extensive. So Bart Lancaster wanted it. Ernest Borgnine, really weird. Lawrence Olivier, really weird. Anthony Quinn, Edward G. Robinson, Paul Schofield, Danny Thomas. Here's the one that just, here's the two, there's actually two of them. Frank Sinatra wanted to be Vito Corleone. And uh-huh. Uh, look, I love all blue eyes, man. I'm out. I just, it's a completely different film. No, no. It's, I mean, it's bad. I think at that point, it's bad. Like, I don't even think it's a good film anymore. No, no. there's one other big one. George C. Scott. That was the one I was going to mention. One more big one. What was the one you had? Losing my mic. I, I said George. C. Yeah, I yeah I got you, Fred. I, I I said George C. Scott was the other one that was considered. Did I lose you? Yeah, I'm back. Sorry. Yeah, George I'm C. Having... George C. Scott was the other one. That was just uh, Orson Welles. Orson Welles. Orson Welles. Oh my gosh. He wanted he wanted the role bad. God, wasn't he like a hundred at that point? <laughs> like, I have no idea. Oh, I have my no gosh. idea just bad i mean um, if, if brando had to lose weight for the role i can't imagine how much weight orson wells would have had to lose no joke so um sam did you did you see like any of those nitpicks that just like stood out to you as like real like would have been interesting or would have just been awful other than what we said i mean sinatra would have been horrible i don't think that fits at all no oh god i mean that that just doesn't make any sense um the ones that we'll get to later i also i do not think makes sense at all <laughs> um but no i mean some of these guys i don't even know who they are <laughs> um, well Bear, who were the first two you said um for for Vito were uh, ernest borgnine and burt lancaster yeah and i think either of those might actually had a shot see when i think of ernest borgnine i just think of i just think of marty and I just think of this like wow, the, yeah. the lovable then, then person. Yeah. And it's just, I never saw him really. I mean, he was in the dirty dozen. He was a, he was a general in the dirty dozen. And he had, you know, several other roles throughout his awesome career and everything, but I don't know. I just never got that, that sinister vibe from, but heck, you know, you know, Gordon Willis was a miracle man. He could make anyone look evil, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. You know, this is this segment I find really difficult, especially when it gets to really iconic roles. Because I can't see anybody else. In like, world. how do you fuck with that? Yeah, yeah. no joke. Yeah. Well, look, the, some of the other ones too, like uh, the the one that you guys saw on the agenda, Tom Hagen. Could you guys believe this? Elvis was up for Tom Hagen. I. Yeah. I, yeah. 
I mean, yeah. So why don't we have Elvis is Tom Hagen, you know, Frank can be Vito Corleone, you know, and then it's just a completely trashy film at that point. So. Yeah. Now we're back to an, now we're doing oceans eight uh, oceans. Eight. Exactly. Um, yeah. We're not talking about this film on a podcast 50 years later. Yeah. No joke. Right. Um, Robert Redford is Michael was the other one that I saw. That was, that would, I could see him as Tom. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. He could have been Tom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, they think they want him because, um, again, but like, again, Coppola really fought for Pacino. Like he really wanted Pacino as Michael, but yeah. Redford was in, Redford was in the wings. Like until they, they shot that scene and showed him on the day, showed the, showed the production uh, company on the, the dailies about the, the McCluskey Salazzo killing. Uh, they were ready to swoop in and fire Coppola and replace replace uh, Pacino with Redford. Like it was like a done deal, essentially. So. And I can see Redford more for Sonny too than Michael. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see that too. Any other casting what ifs, like, or any other roles that like you thought were? Did you guys catch any? I just wrote some down. No. Those are the ones. Those are the big ones that I remember anyway. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, those are the big ones. Um, yeah, the thing for Sinatra as Vito just baffled me when, you know, we got Fontaine right here who's literally like playing Sinatra. Yeah. No. <laughs> like, how is that going to work in the movie? Sinatra it's, wishes he could play that role. Talking to talking to himself. You could talk like a man. <laughs> be like singing it to him or something. Or no, Al Martino would be out there singing to Connie during his during yeah. the wedding singing. And like Frank's like, I'll be right back. I gotta do this better. <laughs> like that's what would happened. Uh, so just some quick hits, gentlemen, real quick on this. I don't want to necessarily go too back. Uh, we've kind of discussed a couple of these, uh, but um, I, I just have some like kind of like I guess unanswerable questions. We talked about this being the greatest film at the top of the show and everything, but I have an interesting take on this particular question: um, Godfather One versus Godfather Two. Like what, what, and, and up subjective reasons or whatever all around, like what, which one do you prefer? Sam, I'll go to you first. You know, it's been a while since I've seen two. Um, I didn't get the chance to walk, watch it in preparation for this. But when I think of how memorable one is and how much all of these scenes stick with me as I watch it again and again, it, it has to be Godfather one for me. Okay. Fred, do you, do you feel similar or different? I mean, from a nostalgic standpoint, yes. From a, from a, you know, it's moving a little quicker, I would say too. Um, but it's unfair because it's like, you know, um, if I pick something obscure like aliens versus, you know, aliens two you already know the rules when you roll into aliens too, you know, I mean, cause an alien in the first alien movie, you don't see the alien for a long time. You don't even know what to be afraid of. And then alien two hits and you're like, Oh crap. I, you know, you're, you're, you're in it right out of the gate. Um, you know, same thing with 2001 space odyssey versus the ne you know, next one and stuff like that. So um, I like two, but that's only because the preparation one has. So, you know, I still have to lean on one. So I think, I think Godfather two is actually a better film. 
so I like overall, like the story, the back and forth between timelines and how it's actually done incredibly well. Um, the two iconic stories that are taking place at the same time, the continuation of one from one, but again, how we got to one in the first place, like it's this really, really incredible and it's completely different film than one. Um, but you're at, if you're asking me like which one I've seen more often, it's one. And which one will I pop, which one will I pop into the DVD or which one will I play on, you know, on streaming first? Like I, I'll always choose one first. It just always will. So, but I think Godfather 2 is like the, the better film. Um, I've always said though, when you start talking about Godfather, you, you really have to measure them as a series. You have to measure the trilogy. Yeah. You know, you, you have, you have to take all of it, you know, cause, cause th there is a block and they, they do go through everything. And actually there's technically a fourth to count the epilogue of three that he released later, um, the bigger cut of it. But I think that, you know, you really have to just measure them as a series and they're all a little bit different. It's like Lord of the Rings. You can't say, okay, you watch one and then you don't watch the other two. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, or, or Star Wars for that matter. And the Lord of the Rings is kind of the same way because one is set up this entire, I don't want to say universe, but world that, you know, if I'm not someone who read the books before seeing it, has to like swallow before two makes sense at all. And then two jumps straight into the action. And it's much right. faster. Like, how do, you, how do you go to two? Yeah, you only get to enjoy two, Godfather 2, because you know everything that you laid all the groundwork in one. And, you know, and, and it requires a long film like that. When Coppola did Godfather 1, he turned it in around the two-hour mark. And the studio said, no, we want more of stories, more, more you know, stories behind them. So he actually re-edited it into being longer, which interestingly enough, by the way, and I actually want to watch it from the standpoint, because I just recently learned this, Godfather is edited by two different people. The first half is edited by one person. The second half is edited by another one. And I'm curious if that plays out in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Yeah, I heard that too. So, now some, like I said, it's it's. Uh, I mean, it, they're they're both they're both incredible films. They're in my top for sure. Um, so um, I think we already answered a couple of these questions uh, uh, throughout throughout kind of our discussion and everything. Um, but who, here's an interesting one that we kind of talked to, uh, kind of around. But who's who's weaker? Because they both have a weakness. And it's very op it's very clear that they're opposite weaknesses. But who's weaker, Tom or Sonny? Sam, we'll go to you. You know, this is really interesting, like you said, because they're opposites. I'm going to say Sonny, um, and I'm going to take it from a perspective of being a leader, um, because he's a leader who doesn't listen to advisors who you know have served his father, even though his father's not there. And he really flies off the rails as a loose cannon. And, you know, that's a really bad trait for someone in a leadership position to be. Right. Um, I'm going to say Tom is stronger because of that. You know, he's more cerebral um, in decision-making and executing on Vito's agenda. And he's never put in a position to lead. Um, but I'm going to say, I'm going to say Sonny is weaker. Fred, do you agree or disagree? I agree 100%. I mean, Sonny is just raw emotion. Um, you know, Tom's calculated. You know, Tom, Tom can set, you know, you can't make only emotional. I mean, you, you don't, don't, don't confuse strength with the fact that Sonny's reacting and shooting people and going after people as opposed to being able to sustain 
long-term, you know, the family empire and everything else like that. Tom, Tom's the one that's wicked smart and he'll win, he'll win in the end. Yeah, I agree as well. I think, uh, cause Tom's capable of being cold and cruel and, you know, he can, he can pull, you know, order the pull someone to pull the trigger, pull the trigger if he needs to, but he'd rather, he'd rather, he's playing chess. He's not playing checkers, mm-hmm. you know, as the, as the old saying goes. So I agree. So Sonny plays a very prominent role in my next series of questions, which is the biggest nitpick. Uh, so uh, all this meticulous. So here's my biggest nitpick of the entire film. All this meticulousness, all these notes, all these reshooting, all this incredible lighting, everything that we've talked about tonight, guys. Sonny's beat down of Carlo in the streets of New York is the worst part of this film. He the clearly missed shadow punch in the is just awful like how how does that not end up on the cutting room floor like he's beating the crap out of him he could have easily cutted that away or something like it's but no i guess they wanted one fluid shot i don't know what the heck they were thinking it's bad um i mean it's just absolutely bad um but that that was my biggest that was my biggest nitpick did you guys have anything coming out or any thoughts on that yeah, that, no, I mean, I, I, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's a big one. I mean, that's something I noticed. I'm sitting on my Porsche looking at a TV that's not huge, and you clearly see that punch missed. <laughs> and it wasn't close. Yeah, uh, it wasn't even close. But in my opinion, that's not the worst part of the movie, because if you take this as a standalone, you don't include further character development in Godfather 2. It's the whole character of Kay Adams. <laughs> it's just the worst. Yeah. so much of it just doesn't make sense why are you with this guy in the first place why are you want to be with him after five years and he's clearly running a criminal crime family it's just it doesn't make a lot of sense to me because the person she you know fell in love with was this war hero he's not involved in what his family's doing he doesn't want to be involved and then she just comes back five years later after he's been married and is now in the middle of his family's business. Yeah. It's, just, it's the weird, yeah, it's the weirdest scout for sure. Fred, did you yeah. have any nitpick? Oh, go ahead, Sam. I'm sorry. She's cool with it because he doesn't come right away. He's been in the U.S. for a year running the family. Right. How long have you been back? I've been back a year. Longer, I think. Oh, God. She should have just been like, well, what the fuck? <laughs> back for a year? <laughs> And you're just now coming to see me? Get out of here. For sure. Fred, any nitpicks? You know, I don't have a lot. I don't I don't really um, you know, I, I think the scene with Luca Braza getting getting killed, I, I think he'd have more of a fight uh, yeah. on it just because of his reputation and what he was and stuff that I just don't think he'd walk into a room with, you know, a couple guys that one didn't have guns and kind of, you know, that scene would be quite so clean. But I mean, you know, that that is a nitpick. Um, you know, one thing I kept meaning to look up as far as when the time frames were, uh, when they're in Vegas at one point, they passed a sign that was Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. And I'm not sure they were there in the 40s. So I don't know mm-hmm. how far we'd gone in the agenda, but they're on a marquee. And I'm like, I'm not sure that they were they were a team back that that long ago. I thought it was the you know 50s, but you know, again, I don't know. Hey. It could have been because if he's gone for five years, yeah, yeah, would be fifty. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it gets you. One it gets you it, close. One, 
one thing that was impressive that I, that that is not a nitpick, but I mean, you know, attention to detail. And I don't know whose call it was, Coppola or whatever, who even thought of it. But a lot of the cars uh, then had wooden bumpers, which was absolutely factual post World War II because the bumpers were all taken off for the war effort. So everybody, you know, a lot of the cars didn't have chrome bumpers. They actually went to wood and they had that in a lot of the scenes. The cars were wood bumpers. And I'm like, man, I don't know who thought of that period piece scenario, but that was, you know, that was pretty impressive. That's pretty good. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of of period stuff that I was going to. The thing that always kind of bothered me about. And I, I again, I, I haven't looked as much into the history of neon just because, you know, I'm not that much of a nerd, but. I just didn't know if neon was that prominent back in the forties. Like the, the Louis restaurant has, is a neon sign. The Jack Dempsey's bar is a, is mm-hmm. a neon sign. I'd have to look back further into that. I'm not sure. Um, but it, it seems that the scene, the, the shot of the outside Louis restaurant, it seems very, that's the only part of the film that seems 1970 ish. It just seems like a very 1970 shot with the neon. I don't know. I'm probably, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I'll ask you a question. What? Who is in all three movies, other than the main character, other than Michael and, and the main characters? Oh, I know this. Sam, do you know this? I'll I'll answer the question if you don't know it. I don't think so. It's uh, it's uh, Sofia Coppola. Yeah, she's the baby. She's the baby in one. Although it's supposed to be a boy, but she plays the baby in one, and she's the grown-up girl in three. Uh, mm-hmm. Which, by the way, is only because one—I think it was Winona Ryder or somebody dropped out. Yeah, Winona Ryder dropped out or something. Yeah, so she she's actually so Matt, I mean, she grew up in the film. She's the baby in one, and she's the young lady in three. That's wild. Yeah, <laughs> she's an she's an extra in two uh, on the yeah. boat when they come over from from Sicily, and yeah, she's in she's in all three films. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So, um, all right. Um, Favorite scene, guys. Sam, I'll start with you. I think, I mean, it's kind of stereotypical. It's loaded. It's a loaded category. The whole movie is. It is. There's so many to choose from. But we've talked about it already. Uh, I'm going to go with the two, actually. I can't not talk about the other one. But the killing of Solonzo McCluskey. Mm -hmm. Just the focus on the individuals. They cut out the dialogue and you can't hear them. You know, the nervousness, the abandonment of all of the planning and it's a phenomenal scene i absolutely love it the other one is the closing scenes just before the closing scene when michael ties up all the loose ends it's killing everybody and it's just knocking everybody out you know whether it's clemenza you know he clearly looks like he did that scene 20 times going up yeah man he's huffing it man (laughs) that's brutal he's huffing and puffing doing that um you know killing mo green um tessio you know just the cleaning house and the ending of all of the drama in the whole movie and you know with the music playing your your heart starts beating like oh man what's about to happen because it doesn't really lead up to it at all um it leads up to it some but not to the extent that that scene is um so that is definitely one of the highlights for me yeah, Tessio's betrayal is, is one of the things I think catches you off guard. For, like, like I don't, I don't. Fred, did you did you see that coming? Like when you saw it for the first time? No, no, 
and and I mean I'm I'm gonna go with Sam as far as scenes. I'm I'm gonna pick the and we talked about it in detail. Michael's scene when when he kills him, you know, gets the gun out of the bathroom and comes like that whole scene is 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 brilliantly done because of how well they set us up for it. Um I think it's I think it's a great scene. Yeah, it's 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 my favorite too. I think the way the film opens uh with is just really good. The way it, I mean the whole wedding scene, I mean it takes up like the first 30 minutes of the film, but there's just so much character development done really well in that in that short amount of time but the other one is i i put I, and i mentioned this earlier i put as the buffer it has to do with my favorite line i put as the buffer for the ad that i put out for tonight's show which is the meeting of the five families and um you know again this is at a point in in Vito's life where he's actually weaker you know he's sick he's not he's not what it was and he he's he still commands the entire presence of that 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 room a very powerful influential you know, evil men. And it's the way he talks, the the speech that I delivered earlier and everything. Like I I just I really, I really drawn to that scene. I think it's really, I think it's really crucial. Um, but yeah, I think I think all of us had the the killing of Slots and McCluskey. It's still Yeah. That whole time family thing is and actually it was interesting because the whole montage where the uh family where they show you know they kind of do those clips the newspaper clips and everything of all the different murders going on to kind of condense that when that's going on lucas is the one that did that george lucas did that whole bit mm. uh because he he owed uh coppola a favor for coppola backing him for his film at the studio of which coppola was in the whole four hundred thousand dollars or something like that mm-hmm. so lucas is the one that actually did that whole thing for him there are a lot of really cool people that were tied to this film oh yeah for they sure a lot of stuff all right. So last question of the night, gentlemen, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I love, I love this film. Um, it's, it's in my top 10 for sure. I think, I think it's. Baron, I think we lost your audio. Where's it me? Fred, can you hear him? No, no, I can't hear him either. He's got wired headset. I have an excuse. <clears throat> yeah, definitely don't have a bear now. We can see you. He's studying. He's looking at all settings. Oh, yeah. Can you hear us? I'm not sure you can hear us either. I'm not sure. There's no reaction. No. <laughs> it's just... You guys hear me okay? Yep, yeah, now we can. Okay. You're back. <laughs> so, sorry about that. I said, uh, Fred, you talked earlier about uh, Shawshank being your number one film and everything. What, uh, where, where does this, where does The Godfather fall on your, your all-time list? You know, I don't know. I should make an all-time list, but I'm, I'm going to say it's in the top 10. I can't comfortably say it's a top five. Um, you know, it, it depends on what you're measuring it on. But if you're talking about movies that I would rewatch over and over again, stuff like that, it's 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 a top ten, but I don't know that it's top five. Yeah, I I tend to agree. Um, I have never formally put down a list of my all time favorite movies in order, but I think it's top ten. Um, I do not think it's in my top five of favorite films of all time, um, but it is definitely in the top ten.
Yeah, I think, uh, um, can you guys still hear me okay? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I think um, it's, 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 just, it's just one of the tops for me. As far as like, it, again, like the rewatch, I just, I go back to it all the time. I watch it so much. I've watched it so much. I really enjoyed kind of uh, getting ready for the show and just watching it, you know, as much as I did. I know we could have gone, you know, a few more hours on this, but I just, I, I, I just, I absolutely, I absolutely love the story and I love the way it was told. I love the way it was shot. I love the characters. I love the way that it all comes together and it's a perfectly piece, you know, glued piece of cinema that just, um, and it transcends generations. We're talking about 50 years. I mean, it's been half a century since this, this film came out. Crazy. And, that was crazy. And, and, you know, it, it, it transcends generations. I mean, it's something that my kids will watch. And, um, you know, I'm sure, you know, Fred, do your kids uh, have the same penchant for film that you do? I mean, I'm sure they've seen this film, right? Um, yeah, I don't, I, you know, I don't, I don't know if my, I have a daughter. I don't, I don't know if she has or not, to be honest with you. I don't, I don't think she's into movies as much as I am, but I mean, you know, I, people, they have so many other outlets. I mean, you know, when I was growing up, I mean, you know, so I was, you know, I was born in the sixties. So seventies and watching movies, you know, nonstop and all the way, all the way through. So I just don't know that people today have the outlets or, or, you know, there's so many other things they can do. I mean, I didn't have a video game I could play or anything like that. So, um, you know, if I'd had video games when I was a kid, maybe I would have played more video games. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just, yeah, like I said, this, this movie just kind of transcends time and everything. Uh, and I love that again, we're, we're here kind of spanning the generation. We know we've got Sam, uh, who's younger and um you know it's it's a film that you know he you know once again he gravitated towards even though that uh you know he's you know you're of a younger generation and everything so um well gentlemen thank you i just want to thank you one more final time uh this was this was awesome for you guys to come together for me um again and uh, talk about you know this iconic film and uh, kind of go through it and have a great discussion uh, unfortunately i couldn't smoke to, with y'all tonight but i'm glad you guys had some great cigars uh, and uh, I just wanted to thank you one last time for, uh, for what an amazing evening and great discussion. So, yeah, this is great, man. I appreciate you having me. And um, yeah, anytime. These these are, these are always a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on some of these movie shows. They're they're always a ton of fun, and we get to talk about some great movies. Yeah, Sam and I have another uh, one uh, planned for later this year, and uh, but uh, I am. Really excited to talk to you more about your idea that you talked a little bit about uh, before the show, Fred. Um, yeah. <laughs> talk more about that. Anytime. So anytime. Be exciting. So for everyone out there, we really do appreciate all your likes, shares, and comments. Check out our Facebook page, LS Fumar, for upcoming guests. And also check out our YouTube page or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, be sure to download, subscribe, and review. And you, if you are a subscriber, don't forget to unsubscribe and hit resubscribe. That really helps me with my viewers. So for everyone out there, I really do appreciate everything. Thank you so much. This was our 211th take live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studio of Azel, Texas. I'm your host, Barry Pussy, as always. And he's Fred Rui, and he's Sam Spencer. And guess what, everyone? We'll see you next time. <laughs>